Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation, the world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. everybody welcome to the coco nation show episode 320 and today we'll have a special guest don barber and we will get with him here in a second so on today's panel let's see we have <clears throat> in the upper left hand corner we have patrick euland hello y'all okay then we got yours truly next over l curtis boyle Welcome to the show, everyone. And a, next, we have a rare sighting of Grant Leedy. Hey, everybody. I don't hey. think I'm that rare. <laughs> <laughs> next up, we got Bob Emery. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. All right. Ken Waters. And Hello. special guest. Yeah. <laughs> and Kitty. Uh, let's see. Ron Delvo. Yes, and Mark Overholzer gave me this because he couldn't be here today. All righty. Uh, next over, David Ladd. Hello, everyone. Glad to see that you've joined us today. Please sit, stay a while, and enjoy the show. Okay, and on the bottom row, we got Alan. Howdy, howdy, everyone. And last but not least, our special guest, Don Barber. Hey, folks. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. At this point, we usually say, I'm sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is when the guests start uh, regretting their decision. <laughs> yeah. And this was a last-minute decision. We just actually made this happen this morning, literally. So, <laughs> And that was all triggered by a video that uh, Don released. Uh, like, was it last night, I guess? Or was it this morning? I can't even remember. It was last night, like at 8 o'clock, like last night or something like that. It was uh, just a sort of off-the-cuff thing I did. Yeah, it was, it was really cool seeing it, too, because you kind of went through, you know, explaining it. You you showed some drivers you did machine language under uh, Disk Basic. And in case somebody's wondering what we're talking about, it's your USB cartridge. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I got right here. Actually, let me just grab it. Um, you can yes. highlight them, uh, Mark. I'm trying, trying. There we go. <laughs> is, there we is go. Is it in a scripted case? Uh, is that nail tear behind you? Just out of curiosity. Uh, not in the case at all. Uh, no, no case at all. And uh, that is an Altair, kind of. It's an it's the modern recreation. Yeah, it's the 8800C. Um, so I soldered that all up from scratch, like from bare boards, uh, about a year, year and a half ago, a little less than a year and a half ago. Uh, so uh, so it's not a pie in a case or something like that. That's an actual proper like S100 bus, but uh, it is a brand new one, basically. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. You just scared me with that whole soldering bit. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, if that scares you, then uh, take a look at that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, this is just uh, like, a, I think the Jim O'Keefe uh, prototype board, I think. Uh, it's Don Bodge. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, a, a barber. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it works. And uh, so this is just a, um, uh, you can get these modules for like, I don't know, two bucks off eBay, three bucks, something like that. Um, just the, the CH375 um, chip, which basically gives an 8-bit interface to a USB uh, bus here. And the module makes it easy because it has the uh, the clock on it. I'm sorry, the crystal on it and, uh, you know, uh, all the wiring and stuff. And uh, it's real simple. Uh, just basically, um, what, four chips, uh, basically address decoding, a little bit of address uh, of control lines and um, plugs it in. And uh, all the all the real work is is mostly done in uh, in software um on the cocoa itself so uh, yeah I, i've uh, got a pretty good set of machine learning uh sorry uh, assembly code together uh to uh to control this um the data sheet is is pretty obtuse and all the sample code is uh is uh um uh commented in mandarin so uh there's that's not much <laughs> that's not much help there so uh it took I'll, some work I'll to, love uh, orange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, but uh, it took some work to uh, to uh, to get it working. But uh, I'm cooking with grease now, basically. Once I got the hub code kind of working, now uh, now everything else is kind of falling into place. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll play a little bit of your video so people can kind of see what we're talking about. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you in the pre-show before you joined, uh, we're talking with David Ladd because there has been talk that doing the USB protocol on a Cocoa would just be too much overhead because basically USB is CPU driven; it's not self-contained. That was one of the big differences between in, in FireWire back in the day which became a bit of a holy war and then the USB one because it's way cheaper. <laughs> but um, from the sounds of it, like I know Mark uh, at cloud nine back in the around 2000, 2003, somewhere on there, he was mentioning like USB would just be way too much overhead for the cocoa. So I'm assuming the adapter chip that you're using is kind of solved that problem. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. So, so the, uh, the so it, like on a PCI bus, the UHCI and the OHCI chips that are used on a modern PC or whatnot does take a lot more CPU uh, than 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 this chip does. The biggest thing is the the start of frame packet needs to be sent like uh, every one millisecond, I think, and so uh, that would just be way too much overhead on the Coco. Uh, Curtis, you might remember me asking you about that back at uh, Coco Fest. Faintly, yep. <laughs> or a TV basically yeah. fell down and distracted everyone. But uh, um, but uh, this chip, uh, you could literally send it a command and basically say, yeah, just just take care of the, the start of frame packets. And uh, from that point on, it just takes care of that. And then uh, the rest of it's just this USB polling. So can okay. you program that chip through the uh, Coco keyboard or do you have to hook something else up to it? Uh, so the chip has a, an eight bit interface, eight bit bus interface on it. So, uh, so it's, it's the cocoa is the, the CPU is talking straight to the chip itself. Oh, okay. But, but the chip does have, um, a series of commands, uh, that you could send it, uh, just, uh, it's, it has a command register and a data register basically takes two, uh, two addresses on the bus. And, uh, and from there you could basically tell it to do anything you need to do. And how, how wide with... is the USB protocol? And like, what, what kind of devices does it all cover? Does it cover USB, USB 2, USB 3? Does it cover, you know, keyboards, mice, joysticks, whatever else? Hard uh, drives? Yeah, well, it's, it's USB at that point. So any anything, uh, and it's 2.0 is the chip. So it's not okay. doing the 3.0. Um, I honestly don't know if it actually could do 3.0. And it's just that the 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 documentation was written before the 3.0 spec was uh came out because uh um uh the actual like uh PID packets that you could you could send on the chip um it might work at 3.0 but 
3.0 speeds, I don't think the Cocoa bus itself could handle anyway. So uh, I'm writing everything to be uh, 2.0 uh, compliant. And, and at that point, it's any any USB device should work. Um, uh, so I've written the hub driver, the uh, the keyboard driver, and the the, draw, the disk drive, the pen drive uh, driver. Um, uh, but conceptually, any USB device should work just fine. Uh, so like joysticks or mice should be pretty easy to do, which is... Uh, well, the the mouse is going to be really easy to do because, like, uh, in the USB HID protocol itself, there is a a standard keyboard protocol and a standard mouse protocol. They're called the boot protocol, which is why your BIOS or the U uh, the 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 UEFA nowadays can talk to a keyboard like straight off of boot. It like knows that very simple uh, report format. Uh, but HID itself um, can actually send like a report descriptor, and it says these many bits mean this and these many bits mean that. So uh, joysticks don't have like a standard protocol. You actually have to interpret the report protocol uh, and then uh, figure out uh, how to interpret the the report from that. You have to, sorry, you have to read the report descriptor, figure out how to to interpret it from that. And that's all handled in like a modern driver on a modern PC, like no problem. Uh, But you would have to write that on the coco uh which okay uh, so that chip doesn't handle that that level of detail except for the keyboard and and the well the chip doesn't do the keyboard literally my software just okay reads the the bytes back from the device uh and it says um hey endpoint number one just give me your eight byte report and then from there the software reads it it's it's so it's all handled in software basically okay ron you had a question too sorry i cut you off there i forgot now (laughs) <laughs> it's gone, gone forever. I could see, I could see uh, at least for OS nine, a um, uh, mouse being real handy. Uh, yeah, uh, I would. So I would think that'd be the third thing. Yeah, we were discussing that earlier because I mean the the current you know the actual analog joysticks and and mice on the Coco have a bit of jitteriness unless you do some really good timing. And of course, if you're doing really tight timing, you're shutting interrupts off and causing the rest of the operating system to slow down a little bit. Um, that's why we were using serial mice back in the nineties or even the late 80s for that matter, and it actually worked pretty well because it's digital. Um, and I know there's PS2 mouse adapters, et cetera, though they're still at this point interfacing with the, you know, basically faking the analog responses. This would be pure digital, so you should have all the jitteriness is completely gone. Um, and also USB mice are a lot more common. I mean, PS2 mice are starting to become rare and serial mice are quite rare right now to get. So you're basically future-proofing it if you can get a mouse driver working on it. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not actually worried about the mouse driver. I haven't gotten to it yet, but uh, the 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 report format's very simple. Uh, so I, I think it'll be very very doable. It's probably probably a couple hours of work at the most. Yeah, I was wondering. Is it like I've never really looked at the USB uh, mouse protocol. Is it similar to what the uh, the serial mice and stuff was, where it gives you like a three byte packet with X offset changes and Y offset changes and button status and that kind of stuff? Yeah, I'm not sure it's exactly three bytes, but it's something very similar to that. Yes. Yeah, probably a bit more now, I guess, because there's more than two buttons. Um, I get, well, there's two standards back then too. I mean, the Logic Systems, I think, was Logic Logitech had a five byte pack because they were doing you know a bit more expanded, and the Microsoft mouse was I think three bytes. So, yeah, mouse systems, mouse systems. Thank you. Yeah. So you... Is this going to be the barber interface? Uh, is it going to be? Uh, <laughs> have you thought about a case yet? That's what the B in USB means. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh... I have not thought about that, Ron. So uh, uh, I'm I'm open to suggestions there. <laughs> um, now, you, you hit, go ahead. the USB chip there sticks up above. Uh, will you be able to fold that down, or? Oh, like if this was to be made like commercially, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, um, uh, 
yeah, you would make this proper. It would probably be like this tall. Uh, these would not be TTL. You'd probably use uh, like surface mount chips oh, okay. uh, just to do that. And and then everything that you see on the module itself would just get pulled off and like directly on the board. Um, and gotcha. that would actually drive the the per unit cost down quite a bit too. Uh, now, do, you, do you have plans to manufacture this or do, would you like somebody to do that on your behalf and just you know, handle the design or? I, I haven't thought about it, to be honest. No, okay. This is more uh, just fun for now. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I kind of, I'm kind of thinking about it just because, you know, when I made the, the cereal pack, uh, like one person has built it, I think. If anyone else has, they didn't tell me. They actually finished it. So, uh, um, and a lot Was of- Was it one person, David Ladd, perchance? No. Uh, <laughs> no, I really want to build it. I just haven't uh, gotten all the parts together yet to actually- build although he knows i bought a few of the boards already so different <laughs> versions yeah it was uh it's lord dragon on discord i can't remember his, his name oh todd wallace todd. that's it todd yeah yeah uh uh we had some great conversations actually so he got it working uh that's the only one i think who's actually done it uh other than i us. actually have one fully assembled that i have not actually tested yet so. oh fantastic that's uh, bob oh. emery in case you couldn't <laughs> see him there hey, yeah hey, no, coconut no. bob yeah yeah. Okay. Uh, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So if it works, uh, uh, yay. If it doesn't work, I don't know what you're talking about. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, this, like, if we made it, like, I might actually try to get like a contract manufacturer. So I'm just, you know, if it works and it, people think it would be something they would be interested in, maybe like, um, but uh, yeah, put me down for we'll, one. We'll knock <laughs> them out cheap if you want. So yeah, we, we have multiple manufacturers yeah, be interested in doing it. So yeah, right. Because the, the product is your software. It's not yeah. the hardware. Because the hardware is basically the pre-built module. Yeah. It's the genius is the software that makes it go. So yeah, I'm, sure, uh, I'm planning on making the software open source, just like you know everything else I did, Cocoa RSA and the USB serial stuff and the AM9511 stuff. So uh, I'll just put it up on GitHub when I'm ready, or uh, or check. Well, the Nitrous Nine stuff, I'll try to check into. SourceForce or GitHub or whatever happens to be the uh, the. the no, I'll borrow it for you. You. <laughs> Is it going to work on an MPI or not? Uh, well, I'm doing it on MPI. Some of you, oh, okay. Seen, I just fried my MPI actually while doing this. I uh, um, oh, yeah the uh, the uh, I had the um uh the, the the end of the USB hub. I had the case off the MPI because you could see the the wires here are quite thick actually. So uh, like it won't like plug into the MPI. Um, if I ever design a prototyping card, I'm going to have a nice like inch of, of clearance before the, before the perf board starts. But uh, um, uh, so I had the case off of it and I had the, 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 the USB plug at the end of the, the, um, the USB hub accidentally the, shortened. Uh, USB uh, hub strip, strip accidentally the, shortened. Uh, yeah, sorry, getting an echo, and uh, actually, you know, took out the tra uh, the transformer. So I just had to rewind the transformer, and uh, and it's uh, actually drying from its uh, lacquer dip right now. Actually, I got it right here. It's still on the wire, so uh, haven't put it in yet. But uh, you rewound uh, the transformer. Yeah, yeah, that was that. Was, uh, <laughs> let's learn how to do that. So. Crazy, yeah. So is my, is my screen share showing? I'm actually just showing his yes, video here. Yeah. Yep. So is there a part I should skip to, Don, that uh, you can kind of talk over? I won't play the voice from your recording because people can just go to the YouTube page, but just to give a bit of a summary of, of maybe some of the things you showed on the video. Uh, I, I don't have it memorized enough to tell you like which part. Um, 
uh, I pretty much start out by showing the card, which I, I did here already. And then uh, I just show the, I, I wrote some basic software just to wrap around the drivers to show that it's working. And uh, it's hard to see the screen. Um, I don't have a fancy setup like all y'all to, to wait a minute. Now it's fancy because you have a door on that CMA. <laughs> yeah. That's like a pristine. <laughs> Actually just a couple pallet changes would probably make it a bit easier, even 40 columns. So that's a good point for, yeah, for demo video. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but uh, so what I have is I, it's just some simple, some simple software here that um, basically all it does is it, it reads from the drive and it reads from the keyboard and then it dumps the tables in memory where uh, I populate like, the device information, the interface information, and um, the drive and keyboard information—just the the bare minimum stuff that the, the, the drivers. And how big how big are those packets? Just out of curiosity. Uh, right now, the code base is somewhere just over three k. I could probably shrink it quite a bit, but I'm kind of in get it work mode, not get it efficient. Yeah, yeah. And the packets from the USB controller itself—how big are those? Are they, or do they vary depending on the device? Oh, it'll depend. Um, the the buffer on the chip is sixty four, which is actually uh, sixty four bytes, which is um, I think the actual biggest for USB two. I think they get bigger for USB three. Um, okay, so each device would take a maximum sixty four bytes to send anything across. Uh, yeah, but like you know, like like a pen drive, uh, standard sector size on a pen drive is five hundred twelve bytes. Um, so that would just be uh, eight packets going across, uh, and then. Um, uh, but everything on a USB is, is initiated by the host. So even when you're reading from a, from a device, you actually send a packet to the device saying, all right, return with another packet. So everything is, is host driven on a USB bus. Okay. And that doesn't matter what the device is, whether it's a USB thumb drive or a keyboard or anything else or scanner or printer or whatever. It's all, yeah, it's all like a, the host initiates it with a query and basically says you are now allowed to respond on the USB bus. So everything's driven by the, uh, the host. So, Don, could you have a uh, SDC uh, thumb drive device type thing go through your card? Uh, you could you could talk you could talk to an SD card. Yes, absolutely. Uh, in fact, um, uh, this USB hub that I have right here actually has an SD card like built in. Yeah. Uh, what I don't have is the fancy software from Darren on. Um, you know, emulating uh, like disk basic, oh, okay. uh, all, all the, you know, FF. You would need that. Yeah. Like it, 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 it's not, it's not emulating a disk controller that there's, there's some serious microcontroller magic that. Uh, okay. Uh, I looked into doing something like that for USB and, um, and uh, let's just say uh, I'm very impressed with Darren's work uh, as a result. <laughs> <laughs> as are we all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it would be very doable to do it on USB, actually, but uh, it would require a microprocessor just like Darren did it on the uh, SDC. Yeah, because basically you're emulating the hardware on the floppy controller at that point to yeah. get that to be backwards compatible. Doing a driver, for example, in Flex or OS 9 would be a bit easier because you can basically abstract it to whatever you want. But Yeah, so I, I halfway consider, like, uh, I know uh, HDB DOS, I think, is is uh, open source now. I, I And that's, I think, can do uh, IDE drives. I was actually thinking about modifying that to do a. That's eight. Brett Gordon's. Uh, I can't Hard disk uh, basic. Yeah, yeah, that 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 is out there now. I believe. Yeah, it's in with the uh, for IDE. It's in with Toolchain, I think, isn't it? Um, but uh, um, I was thinking about modifying that because conceptually, you could you could have basic reading from a USB stick. But then I thought there'd be like nobody would actually use it. So maybe, maybe the juice isn't worth the squeeze on the effort. Okay. 
So this part of the video here, you're kind of showing responses from when you're sending packets to the to the controller too. So you're, you're registering the fact that you've got USB sticks in there, et cetera. Yeah. I was going to fast forward because you actually have you wrote a little bit of a keyboard driver that actually is working right now, right? Yeah, yeah. The keyboard's working. I got that working very recently, just just like two days ago. Um, uh, and uh, and it is it is um, hooking into uh, the key and routine on on uh, on Basic itself. So. Uh, uh, so if you call, uh, it's at A1CB, actually, I still have it memorized. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, if it, when basic calls it's key and routine, it'll actually do a jump to my code. Uh, and if it doesn't read a key, like if it gets a knack back from the, the keyboard, the USB keyboard, it'll actually jump back to the original uh, keyboard routine, but otherwise it would actually return the ASCII character, uh, that, uh, that you, you typed on the USB keyboard. So it, it works beautifully actually. And the keyboard wire, you're showing wireless. here, the Logitech actually has a uh, a touchpad uh, dual button uh, mouse type thing. And yeah, I think you mentioned the video that that could be made to work too. probably hook into the joystick routines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's uh, that will also when I get around to writing the mouse driver, uh, that should work just beautifully. It's just a standard mouse device. Uh, it looks like a standard mouse device on the uh, on, on the USB bus. Hmm. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. Uh... So that, that's a wireless fob, you know, uh, stuck on there. Yeah, that's a wireless keyboard. Um, yeah. It's just a standard USB device uh, from the from the host perspective. Yeah, that's kind of amazing. <laughs> so here you rebooted your disk basic uh, to the start here. It, the keyboard's still running. So you've actually got a patched um, ROM in there, or do you? Or are you uh, just? I didn't reboot it. Actually, when I hit Q on my code, what it does is it. Uh, Warm starts basically yeah, it again. Does a, it does a. It, I forget the actual vector it calls, but it 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 it's just a restart routine. It's the standard restart routine. Okay. Yeah, it looks it looks really cool. I mean, this 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 is impressive enough, you know, already on its own as it is. But we've got some comments in the, the chat here. We've got uh, Mikey six uh, Mike Furman. You guys been doing the flex stuff. He says, "Take my money in all caps." <laughs> um, he sees 8-bit zone, says, I just joined a little while ago. Is that Colin Hanks guesting on the show? So apparently you resemble the movie actor. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this looks, looks, looks really good. And if you got it in 3K of code, and like you said, you haven't optimized it yet. Uh, and yeah, basically, I, it's just a matter. Now, is there a central USB? Like when you're like you, this video mainly covers the disk basic stuff that you've done. And you mentioned at the end of it, you're, you're starting the Nitrous 9 stuff. Will there be like a main USB driver that kind of handles the generic packets? And then you have little sub drivers, kind of like the yeah, current. Yeah. Um, that's for Nitrous 9. Yes, that's kind of what I'm envisioning. I'm, I'm calling kind of calling it USB man, just because I noticed there's IO man and there's a couple other man, you know, modules. And, um, uh, and so I'm actually making it uh, somewhat similar to DriveWire, the way that DriveWire works, where there's a there's a DriveWire module, I guess you call it, and then there's the actual like um, block little sub drivers for each specific type of device type thing. In Linux, they're block and char devices. They're they're called something else in Nitrous Nine, but uh, descriptors. Uh, but yeah, the descript. Uh, well, no, like the SCF devices and the RB devices. And they'll they'll call into the USB man uh, basically for a control transfer and in transfer and out transfer, um, and uh, I'm still getting my head wrapped around the memory model a little bit. Uh, I'm almost there, uh, but yeah, I, I do expect there'll be like an abstraction like USB manager in the middle that also does the hub stuff, uh, which is like going to be polling the hubs for for things. 
Yeah, because the main USB manager would be handling the stuff that's in common no matter what device you've got on the USB bus, whereas the individual ones would, like you said, for SCF things like a keyboard or a mouse. But if you're doing virtual thumb drives, that'd be more of an RBF style. So you'd have to read like a sector. And I imagine scanners and printers. Scanner might be a serial. I'm not sure. Printers would be serial, I'm guessing. But well, if you we're ever got to that point. into the exact same problem I'm having with the network card where everything's abstracted and it's really just a serial stream coming in. What do you call it? And what do you organize it under? So the Ethernet card, it's pulling in, you know, 1,500 bytes at a time, but it's a serial stream. So what is it? And yeah, got that's why the problem. NFM manager was made <laughs> under OS9. We never got it on the Cocoa, but that was a network file manager who was supposed to handle that kind of thing. Right. He's got the same problem. So. Yeah. And well, and then uh, then it starts to get fun when I start hooking up uh, USB Ethernet devices and things like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Don, were you um, surfing? Um, Google, you know, and looking at other um, computer guys that might have done this already successfully and then um, patterned it off that? Or uh, what was your initial, how did you come up with it? Oh, um, well, I mean, I made the USB serial pack, uh, which was just as, you know, FTDI uh, 1232, I think, something like that. And uh, so a lot of people kind of reacted and said, well, can it? can it actually do like USB host stuff? And the answer is no, because that's very, very different. So I started thinking about what that would take. Um, I ran across a chip that FTDI does called the Viniculum 2. So, and uh, so I was, I really went pretty far down. I spent some money actually, uh, you know, getting the the, the demo boards and stuff like that. And uh, uh, that ended up failing just because it's not fast enough to actually respond to the Coco quick enough. Uh, so then I was looking at the Pico W's uh, and then somebody on Discord, I can't even remember who, and, and that's 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 too bad actually. Um, somebody mentioned, well, you're not doing something like the CH375 chip. <laughs> so I'm like, what's that? So I went and Googled it and uh I'm like, this is perfect. So uh so I ended up getting uh finding the modules and just coding an interface to it. You know, like frankly, compared to like the AM9511 chip, like this was a this was a breeze to to get working, at least the hardware. Like it it was seriously like you know, not hard at all. The software, of course, everything's done in software. So that's, that's much, much harder. Uh, but no, I have not found, I found a lot of like forum references on like Apple II forms, people talking about maybe doing something, but nobody's gotten around to actually writing like hub controller code for an 8-bit computer. Uh, you could get you could get a uh, ISA device with the CH375 on it for booting like a old school IBM PC 5150 or something off of a USB stick. Uh, but it doesn't do hub controller. You have to plug the USB stick straight into it and only does uh, booting off that USB stick. Yeah, it's it's a really cool project. I mean, just the fact that you, you've got it communicating with multiple different devices ready, like keyboard and USB drives. I mean, you're going from one extreme to the other, an SCF style device to an RBF style device. And, um, you know, you've already said that basically that looks like the, uh, the mouse protocol is quite standardized. So that'd be very easy to do. The joystick one sounds like it's a little bit more wonky, probably because there's so many controllers, there's analog, digital, multi-button and all kinds of yeah, things you well, have to worry about. Yeah. Well, for joystick, uh, so I, I put some thought exercise into that. If you had like one joystick, like 
the Xbox joystick or, or something like it would be very straightforward to write a driver, like pick a standard type thing and stick yeah, it. for that one specific joystick. You could write a driver for that very easily. Um, if you wanted to write something that interpreted the HID protocol, so you could plug in any joystick, you're looking at a lot of code. Um, uh, there's, there's, uh, if you Google, uh, USB one underscore, I'm sorry, HID one underscore 11.pdf. That's the HID protocol specification. And, and you have to like, you have to, there's this weird stack. I didn't get my head wrapped around it. There's this weird like stack processing thing and how to handle report descriptors that I'm sure once you understand it, it's really straightforward, but my head has not wrapped around it yet. <laughs> yeah. So I was sitting here thinking, um, Wow, uh -oh. you could probably hook up a Black Beauty to that. <laughs> How stupid, huh? Except you'd have to convert that from analog to <laughs> yeah, USB, which kind of defeat the purpose. Well, you have two ports on the back. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, these wouldn't were... these wouldn't even go through the uh, the joystick ports. You would put this directly into right. the USB yeah. card. You'd have. I mean, people have made those uh, those USB like Black Beauty to usb converters so they could use it on their pc oh yeah, yeah. puff really made those and i actually have one <laughs> you could take one of those and plug it into this usb so it's not so stupid then. and yeah and you still have to change your well actually i guess that does plug into well the emulators and stuff use it for example or the same thing we can plug in like a cocoa joystick into this little usb converter plug that into your pc and then mame or vcc or x work and read that yeah now um, for the guys that uh don't have any, you know, knowledge of soldering and putting wires on and stuff. Uh, we really want to know if when you did uh, mess up and short that thing out, was there any smoke at all? Oh, yeah. I let out the bunch <laughs> of smoke of the MPI. Yeah, oh, yeah. cool. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was quite impressive, actually. Uh, I, I, uh, I, if you go back in my Discord history, I think I actually, no, maybe I didn't. But I was actually like, is there a reflex cap on the, on an MPI? Because it smelled really bad. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, describe the smell. <laughs> now, yeah. Did you did you kill one of the original Tandy MPIs, or did you kill well, like the mini MPI you're showing here in the video? Oh no, I I killed my original Tandy, um, uh, the thirty twenty four, uh, and uh, and I felt really bad because it's forty years old. It's it survived more than me, right? Or it should, but. Uh, uh, but I've 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 fixed it. I, I I like I said I have it here, and uh, I just have to stick it back in. So. Uh... Uh, but yeah, I uh, I wanted to keep my USB work, so I had a I had this mini MPI that I I picked up off of uh, somebody uh, about a year ago. So I think there's other people that wouldn't mind having Transformers rewound. Right. <laughs> In fact, I actually saw your flight, and I went digging through my crap, and I found this, which I was going to offer up, but you've already fixed yours. <laughs> yeah. So no, I, yeah, I really appreciate it. Rick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I um, I mean. I mean, uh, Bob. Bob actually offered, I think, as well, uh, one. So. Uh, oh, okay. So we're all. Yeah, so I, I really appreciate it. Actually, it just shows why the community is so great. Actually, but uh, you know, I did have a, a very you know self temporal guilt for uh, for you know when these things they're not making them anymore, right? So the fact that I uh, I fried one, I was feeling very bad about. So uh, I'm glad I was. Sir, everyone, send me bird transformers. <laughs> here's your little side business project now <laughs> we got you in business for life yeah. now i don't know anything about this because i'm not a hardware guy but how long does it take to re to rewind that transformer uh if you know what you're doing probably not that long but uh, i did not know what i was work doing so uh it, it took some time um 
The hardest part is is actually it has a, a, a laminated core. So actually, you know, taking a, a, a um, exacto knife and peel it, like peeling it layer by layer off the core was hard. Unwinding it's not hard. Um, I made the mistake of unwinding it without counting, like how many wines. Oh, oh, oh. So uh, I had to rewind it and count, <laughs> and then uh, and then uh, um, uh, and then I just did the math and, and all that kind of stuff, and uh, um, and then rewound it. And of course, I, I used the wrong gauge wire the first time, and uh, ended up so fat that you couldn't put the the core back on. So uh, I had to uh, to to undo that, and then to get the proper gauge wire and redo it. So uh, uh, there were a couple of lessons learned there. I uh, just first time. <laughs> There's so much sacrifice just to bring this forward, huh? Gee. Yeah. Yeah. Any any further questions from the the panelists here? Um, I, especially I you hardware guys. Questions. Go ahead. So, what was your first computer? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, my first computer would have been a, a Coco uh, One. Uh, so, um, but uh, uh, I was a I was, I was a kid, so I was I was. Um, uh, uh, but it was really my dad's. I uh, had a Coco One. Uh, got a Coco Three later. Uh, when my dad got a two eighty six, uh, so this would have been in nineteen eighty nine. Uh, we moved a couple times, uh, and then in January of ninety, actually, uh, is uh, uh, I got I inherited the Coco Three basically because my dad got the two eighty six. So uh, I got to put that in my room and. Taught myself basic using the Coco One books. Actually, I didn't realize it at the time, but the Coco One books were. Uh, uh, it's been talked about on this show a couple of times where the Coco One books were actually easier to learn from than the uh, the later books. Yeah, uh, they're, they're by far the best computer basic yeah. learning books I've ever seen. Uh, so yeah, so I mean, the first computer I ever touched would have been the the Coco One, uh, but the uh, the the one the first one I really learned to use uh, was would would have been a Coco Three. So your dad never let you open to open one of those up or anything <laughs> because you you seem like you're a hardware guy now. Uh, yeah. Well, so no. Uh, uh, I remember the first time I upgraded RAM in our four eighty six, and this would have been ninety five or so. Like uh, that. Uh, like my dad was freaking out. He didn't want to. to let me <laughs> uh, no. So uh, I'm not. A, I'm not a hardware guy historically. Uh, the the Altair was really like you know, me kind of proven to myself, I could have done it, you know, I mean, I of course, I took computer engineering, like one, I have a computer science degree, my undergrad is in computer science. So uh, you have to take a couple computer engineering classes as part of that. So you know, you, you did TTL logic and stuff like that. Uh, but I, I was never really a, a hardware guy, I was a software, in, uh, sorry, a systems engineer, etc. Uh, system administrator. And uh, uh, but the Altair was so uh, Anyway, just, just keep the thread. The uh, the Altair was interesting because um, it's not like a kit. Like I, you had to buy bare boards, like and piece it together from different places. And the memory board I got for it was not designed for a front panel deposit S one hundred computer. So I literally had to rewire bodge wires to uh, to figure out how to get the front panel to work on this this memory board, and. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to like read through the schematics and figure that one out. And uh, by golly, it worked. And, but by, by reading that, the, uh, the, the schematics, I figured out, wait a minute, like the address decoding is not that complex. If you understand the TTL logic and like the control logic. So it wasn't really that hard. Well, I'll take that back. It, but once you started to see how the things kind of figured out, they're like oh, hardware, put throwing chips together and hardware is not really all that difficult. I'm actually, 
I remember watching an interview of, of Woz, Steve Wozniak, a while ago, uh, and he talked about he would just like flip through catalogs and look at chips and be like, that looks interesting. I should make some hardware about that. And that's the way he thought. And that's it's pretty much why I did the 9511 chip <laughs> and uh, why I did the CH375 chip. So uh, I guess you could call me a hardware guy now, but remember, so are those chips the, the um, processor? I'm sorry? Are those chips the processor? It's not like a 6800 or anything? Oh, sorry. Uh, well, the 9511 was the math, uh, the arithmetic processing unit card uh, I made a couple months ago. Uh, and the the C875 is the one for the USB card just now. Um, oh. But uh, well, what's remember, in the, the machine you built back there? Oh, that's an Altair. Yeah, that's that's an uh, Intel. 8080, uh, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, is but, it? Okay. Yeah. So. Um, a question for you on that Altair. Have you thought about an Altair 680? I have not thought about an Altair 680. I, I've been uh, uh I've been I've been having fun with the Coco actually. Like um yeah um you might remember so after I did the Altair and, and a couple of things there, I sort of like because when you're a kid, you know, you're you're nine through twelve is probably about when I was playing with the uh the Coco three. And I remember reading in the manual like machine language, like one day I'm going to know how to do that. Like that's, 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 you know, cause I could do basic and, you know, print hello world and Dawn is awesome a million times and all that kind of stuff. But like, uh, um, but like, that was always like the thing, like one day I'm going to know how to do it properly with machine language. And, uh, and so uh, a couple of years, well, probably about two years ago, I'm like, you know what now or never. <laughs> so that's why I wrote that Coco RSA program. Cause like, Kind of proved I knew, you know, 6809 assembly, if I could get RSA working to that level. Also, it was really nice because it um, it proved I didn't forget everything from my computer science undergrad 20 years ago. All right. What's <laughs> RSA stand for? Uh, it's the three creators of of the of the algorithm. I can't remember their their names. Revist? Yeah. Horrible person. Shamir and A. I'm, I'm drawing a blank myself. But yeah. Yeah. RSA and you are <laughs> completely crazy for doing that. It's <laughs> I think I think for some of the viewers that aren't as technically minded, maybe explain what RSA is too. Right. Oh, that's kind of what I meant. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, so it's a, an encryption algorithm, uh, and for uh, so if you've heard of uh, public key cryptography, uh, or um, it's it's a way of do it's asymmetric encryption. So public private key cryptography where uh you generate a two-part key if you you could share the public key and then uh using uh the public key public key you can encrypt a message and you can only decrypt it using uh the private key uh and that's what makes modern like e-commerce and everything else work is the fact that uh, that that algorithm was invented in 1977 i think uh got a patent for it uh um uh, was was a really big deal. Turns out some some British researcher uh, and their equivalent of the CIA or NSA uh, had actually invented public private key like back in the fifties or something like that. But they didn't tell anyone. So uh, <laughs> so uh, um, uh, so the RSA guys invented that. It was it was under patent for twenty years. So uh, really until the late nineties, uh, it was uh, it was you paid a big license to RSA, which is still a big company today. So is that what um, we use when we uh, surf safely with, uh, yes. do, uh, you know, money exchange on the, on the web? It is. Um, the, um, 
So the thing is, uh, public-private key cryptography is is very CPU intensive, so you don't want to keep doing it. So what you do is you you generate a symmetric key, which is pretty easy. It's just Zor at the end of the day, uh, and then uh, you exchange that key with this this high CPU public-private uh, public-private key uh, algorithm. And that's what TLS works. That's that's exactly how TLS works. Um, uh, you could you could get some more advanced stuff with with like bezier curves and stuff uh but but generally that's how tls works i mean i'm trying to remember that project because i mean the standard cryptography right now is what is it at 256 bit 512 bit i don't even remember what the current thing is but yeah i think you did a more junior version because otherwise it would take thousands of years to run or something uh yeah well so <laughs> most uh most of your tls today is going to be a uh, minimum 1024 2048 is actually much more common uh 2048 bit um, you'll you'll get some super serious people that'll do four thousand ninety six, which is fine. But uh, um, uh, the cocoa really does kind of cap out at like five twelve. It takes several hour several hours, which back in the mid eighties would have been fantastic. It would have been great. Like uh, it would have taken you know years to uh, to actually crack that. Uh, but uh, of course, it's been years, and CPUs are much faster now, so uh, not so much useful. But the actual algorithm I developed could actually do 4096 it would just take decades so uh so not, not very <laughs> we have to get a bunch of cocos at coco fest all going at once just chewing on that thing <laughs> yeah, yeah well, just like just trying to do bet mining or something well there's that commodore 64 project that was doing the bit bitcoin mining I mean, if i remember correctly we should be able to beat that speed i'm sure it's it's interesting problem because you would like to do some kind of quasi-secure network transfer from a cocoa with a canned key that you made somewhere else or something. But you know, what are the details of that and how would you pull it off? Yeah. Well, even yeah, I mean it does the thing is that when I after I wrote Carco RSA, it, it kind of proved to me that like doing any kind of proper modern network stack on a cocoa is just not feasible. Uh, to do any kind of TLS or anything, because even if you have the key already generated in memory and you didn't have to do prime generation or anything, like it would still take so long to do the uh, modular exponi- exponentiation that is required for uh, for TLS uh, that it, it just isn't feasible. So you would need to offload TLS to some kind of dedicated hardware chip if you really wanted to have a network stack on the Coco. Sounds mm, like spaghetti. So- Sorry. Well, I mean, so we've got plain HTTP now. Yeah, but, yeah. That, uh, other than that, we're talking Caesar cipher, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Enigma a- encoder. So do, <laughs> yeah. do you believe uh, that you can basically do anything you want to do if you think about it, and you could probably engineer it and figure it out? I mean, really. Personally or just society yeah. in general? No, I mean, you know, when you start something and, and you have an idea, you could probably do it, right? I mean, there's there's uh, always a way to do it. It seems like, I mean, you know, we started with the SDC. There's uh, so many other things that you can interface into an eight bit machine. Well, that's oh. where the uh, the uh, expression came from. There's the, if the, when there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, so so here's the, so I'm, my undergrad is in computer science. I mentioned so I'm a big fan of Alan Turing. Uh, so if a machine is tur- a Turing complete machine, it could solve any computer science problem that any other computer can. So like the the original, I think the, the oldest 
Turing complete machine is like the German Z2 or Z3 from the 1920s or something like that. Like that computer can solve the same problems as the fastest supercomputer today. It just might take millions. Take of, a little longer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> millions of years. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, you know, if like, and Alan Turing proved that, like literally mathematically proved that. So, um, uh, so yes, if you could solve it on a computer, you can solve it on the Coco. Coco RSA is a great example. Um, just it might not be fast enough to be fe feasible. So, um, yeah. are you gonna? Um, uh, do you have any love of any? Of, I see you have a a couple of Apple machines back there. Are, are, are you gonna do the same kind of thing for, you know, Apple's or or Commodore or any of these other machines? Or, or is there one love for the Coco? Thank you. <laughs> the, uh, the cocoa is my favorite i mean it's, i block it with my body but it's actually <laughs> there it is. i turn around that's the one that's there uh so um so there's that i have done a little bit of uh, so like the mac classic up there like the, the maxwell battery blew up and put acid all over the board so i fixed it with bodge wires and got it booting again and things like that so i've done some some hardware hacking but like as far as like developing and stuff like that, I mean, I did pick up 68k assembly, but um, uh, like no, not really. Like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of happy to sort of hacking on the Coca right now. Again, I started with the Altair, just you know, because that was that was like sort of the big goal. Of like, hey, could I run with the uh, the Homebrew Computer Club of the 70s, right? But uh, um, uh, but yeah, once I once I kind of graduated to like my first where it went back to my first love of, of the coco thinking back when i was like nine through 12 uh and playing with all those cool so so while i do have the audience here i do want to bring up one thing and i want to basically give a general apology to the coco community because uh if you go back to the mailing list archives the old mailing list from like 1997 there is a post from a 17 year old me asking for advice on repacking a cocoa into a uh, PC case so I could take it off to college. And uh, I had no idea what I was doing. I could basically solder from point A to point B and that was it. So I actually found some directions online on how to like redo a, a PC um, power supply, an AT power supply for the cocoa. And I was able to get that working. Uh, and I was having trouble getting the MPI um, actually, you know, basically the bus connected uh, th uh, through. And so I was asking for some advice and someone came back. I don't know who I'd have to go and look it up. Somebody came back and basically said, you don't know what you're doing. You need to go find somebody who could give you proper advice. And um, uh, I did not take that well. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, uh, first off, I lived in Southeast Ohio. It took 25 minutes to drive to the grocery store. I didn't have somebody I could go and like, you know, talk to. And so I was a little frustrated by the by the the shove off response. And I'm like, give the kid a break. You could pick up a cocoa for 30 bucks at the time. I wish it was like that today. But uh, uh, um, and uh, um, so when I when I go back and read that, I'm embarrassed by my response, if that makes sense. So I apologize for for that. Uh, but at the same time, I also see a very, uh, very stressed, not stressed out, frustrated uh, 17 year old uh, who, who wasn't getting a lot of support in the world. So uh, did you do it? No, I didn't. Uh, I uh, I got stuck after the power because again, I didn't I didn't have 
I didn't know about how buses worked and all that kind of stuff. That like nowadays it'd be like easy, right? Like, all right, just get some ribbon cable and hook it up. Yeah, I've got uh, one. So, yeah, uh, but uh, but also I didn't have any money either. So like like <laughs> you know, so you know, even even buying like the PS2 keyboard adapter was kind of out of my budget. So uh, that project kind of failed. So so Mark Siegel's chat- asking, do you use the Coco as a terminal to the Altair? I I. I did once <laughs> just to make sure, just to see that if I could. Uh, and uh, it's a, it's a little bit of a hack. I, um, I actually have the Altair hooked up. So the, the USB serial pack I made for the Coco, I also made for the Altair. So it's, it's actually hooked up to a Linux box through a, through a, through a USB serial uh, connector. Um, and then I patched CPM to actually do its disc access over serial over USB actually. But uh on a serial device. So I have CPM like working and booting and playing Zork and all that kind of stuff, uh, but through a Linux box. So basically I got, um, I got the cocoa hooked up to the same Linux box also through its USB serial and used the terminal and basically got into the CPM that way. So I cheated a little bit cause there was a Linux box in the middle, but, uh, but yes, I have used the cocoa as a terminal for the Altair. So on this Altair, um, you read, you read it by the, the lights on the front, you know, it doesn't have a monitor, right? Or, uh, or, or am I wrong? Or that's correct. Uh, it has a serial port, so that most people hook up a terminal, and that's its monitor. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so, what we're just talking oh, about using the Coco as the as the terminal. Okay, so tell me, how I long? Con- I was confused that it's sitting there blinking, but but there's no monitor. Oh, it's well, it's actually running a game right now. That's playing Kill the Bit, so uh, you could actually <laughs> flip the switch. Oh, you flip the switch to catch it. Cool. Yeah. So how long do you finish that 6309 board for that Altar? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a good question. Uh, if you go on uh, s100computers.com, there's a whole series of, of boards that that, that community um, have designed. And one of them is a 6809 board. So oh, okay. it's exceptionally Too uh, late. So it has been designed. Uh, I have not gotten around to building one. The S100 bus is kind of designed around like the way Intel uh uh, chips work yeah. with the separate uh, I/O um, ports uh, versus memory uh, that the Motorola like does, the, the Z80 oh, right. does too, right? Exactly. So the Z80 was just basically a, a it's better, but it was a knockoff of the 8080. Basically, a bunch of Intel engineers said we're going to do this even better, and they went off and started you know their own company. Uh, uh, but uh, but yeah, it's 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 so there's a little bit of tricks to make a Motorola chip work on an S100 bus. It works. It, it, it so works. the gimmicks wasn't an S100 bus machine. I don't. SS50, know. I think, was that nomenclature. Oh, S50, something like that. It was a similar bus. Oh, okay. Now, any more questions you... from the panel? I don't see anything next on the uh, the chat here. Um, can you hear me? I don't know. My mic's working. Yeah, you can hear you, Nick. I came in late, so I missed the very start. Uh, that's a real Altair or a uh, a knockoff Altair? Uh, it's it's a knock it's, both. <laughs> All right, it's not an original Altair. It's it's a modern right. recreation, but it is a proper Intel eighty eighty S one hundred bus. It's not uh, not a not a Raspberry Pi in a box or anything like that. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Do you want one? Yeah, Mark yeah, Siegel asks if your next project is an S50 bus. I, I'm going to get the USB <laughs> stuff working first. I, I, I'm not going to get the next project quite yet. 
<laughs> yeah. It, it looks like a really promising project. I, I'm really liking the fact that you're going to be able to write some drivers here to, to handle different types of devices here. And we can definitely interface that with Nitrous 9. So yeah, then a lot of the modern equipment that's cheaper and still made in bulk, we can start using instead of trying to find all these, you know, obscure old pieces of hardware to hook up. Is the ultimate goal to have a, a to produce a cartridge that has the USB? You just plug it into a uh, multi-pack? You're re-asking all the questions we already answered, Nick. Well, I came in late, so I missed all the all the early questions. So I'll have to play back the video. Play and fast forward, chipmunk speed. Here we go. Yeah. Because it'd be good to have one that also has a real-time clock as well. There it is. <laughs> we made it. How long without mentioning right, the without the clock? Oh, yeah. Almost We're hour. trying to avoid that. Are you into uh, shortwave radio, too? Uh, a big receiver clue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that, that's you know, the do you know what we fact is? <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. No, I, I am also a, an amateur radio. So, uh, um, okay. you do know what we fact is. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I do. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> <One> drink. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that is a that is a six hundred watt amp right there uh, for uh, for HF. Yeah. Awesome. Well, def definitely keep us abreast on the project here, and as as you get through and get you know different drivers done for different classes of devices, et cetera. If you want to ever want to come on and kind of give us all an update, just uh, right. kind of just come on. <laughs> you got the credentials to get on now, so yeah, no, absolutely. I really appreciate. You. I've been listening to you guys for a long time now, and so thank you for, for bringing me on the phone. So thank, uh, sorry, bringing me on the on the conference. Did you hear what he said? <laughs> We're sorry. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, um, yeah, it was my first Cocoa Fest uh, this past April. So it was good to see uh, everyone there in person. And uh, Oh, you were there? Yep. Ron, you had a I great probably saw you. I like, guess so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You were right behind me in the uh, the yes. dinner line. So yes. uh, we for like a good 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm 69 now. I'm sorry. No, it was it was a good chat. Awesome. Yeah. Uh anyway, yeah, okay. you're you're free, you're free to come on whenever whenever you want to come in for an update. If you just want to be part of the panel, just feel free to come on. Uh today, if you if you have time, you can stay on for the rest of the show or you can just stick around for a few minutes, or you can actually, you know, go have a real life or something. <laughs> okay. Um I might stick around for a few minutes, but uh I might have to drop off. I do have a whole family uh that's that's wanting my attention so uh but uh thank you everyone again and uh enjoy the rest of the show thanks everyone hey thank you thanks, for the projects thank you the show's over now <laughs> <laughs> he was right, great see if i can reset everything here okay wasn't he he's still here Ron. yeah he's still great <laughs> <laughs> all right let's uh uh let's see we're about hour in so let's uh take a short break yes and then we will do yes ron's garage oh geez scary <laughs> where's my button there it is hey amy hey taylor we're watching the coco nation show yeah we are Woo! you should too
everyone, it's your good buddy, your good pal Amigo, and joined by that dastardly The Brent from ARG Presents. You're watching Coco Nation. I feel like that should have been longer. The Coco Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons Alex Gare, Brendan Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Kieran Ascom, Daddy Burrito, Diego BF109, Dinty's Hideaway, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Grant Leedy, John, Boat of Car Schaller, Henry Strickland, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Mike Rayburn, Patrick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, Terry Stege, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., Tony C., and William Athing. Thank you so much, patrons. What's so funny? Um, as, I was, as I was playing, uh, Bob uh, Emery uh, had to turn around and look and say, what the heck was that? <laughs> <laughs> now you guys remember the rainbow, don't you? Uh, oh, wait, wait, wait till it highlights you, Ron. Yeah, let me find the right buttons here. What I wish Zoom would make that a little right? bit easier to do. Yeah. Hey, I'm in Rod's garage. As you can see, it's a mess right now. Organizing. Anyway, this is the rainbow. Been going through some stuff. You got the rainbow, right? And uh, this is how thick it was at one time. And then later on, it got to be pretty thin, like this one. And then I also ran across a really thin one, but a larger format of the Dragon user. And it's thin, but look how tall it is. And plus, check out those joysticks, Brian. Something probably you don't have yet. Anyway, also run across these. Yep, the newspaper format one. Yeah, and look who the uh, author is here. The author of Nightmare Highway. Yep. All kinds of neat stuff on this thing. If you ever get a chance to uh, thumbnail through them, uh, I think, uh, do you think these are uh, online on the archive? Yeah, they are. Well, this is just like a big newspaper. It's huge. Yeah. You know? This was a labor of love for Lonnie because at this point, Rainbow was starting to lose money. But he yeah. really loved the cocoa. He really loved the community. He tried to keep it going as long as he possibly could. So switching the newspaper format was way cheaper for him to, to manufacture. And that's the reason Rainbow went as long as it did. It almost made it to the end of its 12th year. Just a couple months short. Okay, I'm sharing. Can you see it? Uh-huh. Okay, so... <clears throat> I do this every once in a while because I have a collection of all the stuff I've been playing with. So I threw together a couple of machines and started uh, taking some screenshots of stuff. This one here um, has the Mark Data keyboard, and uh, 
I put Colorware up, the Cocoa Mix uh, program. If you guys ever see this come up in the Colorware Flip, it's a really awesome thing, you know, for uh, a little machine like ours to have kind of like a, a dash of, uh, I don't know, professionalism added. It's really cool. Anyway, um, also, I use the uh, interface there instead of uh, the, um, there's a software hacked version where you can use Cocoa Max without that. And, but it's hard to do anything because it's real blocky. Anyway, um, I have my stealth machine out. Um, I don't know if you guys ever saw um, Terry Steggy's black one. This, this kind of uh, got him. The Darth interested. Vader Coco? Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. He's done such a great job with that thing. And uh, <clears throat> this is when I found that I had the uh, newspaper versions of Rainbow when I was playing with uh, listening to Beatles on my, uh, um, what is it called? The uh, uh, Victor Manalyzer. Help me out. Yeah. And then uh, <clears throat> back in the day, I used my uh, digitizer, which um, is not unlike uh, Nick's the one he made back in the day. I, uh, how do they compare, Nick, the um, DS69A com compared to the RASCAM that um, you made? I haven't actually used the DS69. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, the DS69 was actually a Coco 1 and 2 era one. Like, that's been around yeah. for a long time. So it wouldn't have oh, had well, some of the higher res modes built in. But Okay. Because yours was strictly Coco 3, if I remember. Mine right. was strictly Coco 3. <clears throat> yeah, but uh, the, the A version worked on the 3, I think. Right, yeah, or the B. Well, maybe it was yeah, the B. The B. Yeah. <clears throat> the funny thing is the, the Digiscan actually predates the Coco. That was actually made for some of the other 6800 systems before the Coco oh. even came out. I didn't know that. If, if you go cool. through 68 microgenes, you can see ads for it from quite a bit before. Oh, neat. Uh, I had mine break at one point back in the 80s, and it was the uh, the first version. And I sent it back to them to the factory there, and they sent it back to me fixed with the newer version and software. And they thanked me and didn't charge me anything. Cool. That's good customer yeah, service. real good. Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, an MC-10 hooked up to a, a monitor I had in the, uh, my observatory building out in the back. And I brought it in and I hooked it up. And uh, it it really worked great because I it has the square format, which is probably um, better to look, you know, at this version of uh, Color Computers has a, kind of a square. Like 4 to 3 versus yeah. the 16 yeah, to 9. 4 to 3 aspect ratio. Exactly. And, and it just works really well. And, and for some reason, it really... Um, takes care of the video signal that comes out. If you use a uh, mm. certain um, RCA jacked, you know, cords, there's a couple that are real cheap or something. I don't know what the difference is. But they're not shielded well or something, but they, yeah. they just have all kinds of lines going across. But mm. in this case, it was great. And then did you guys see this Farfall thing? Is this going to be on uh, your news, Curtis? Uh, what what's new about it? This is 2019. Yeah, I know, but um, it came up recently. This is how I saw it and thought I'd throw it. Okay, up I think it was just a reposting because that we covered yeah. it back when it first came out in 2019 for the master yeah. edition. Well, it's pretty cool to see again, so I, I put it up there. Anyway, and then I I, I bring out other um, computers now and then, and I also do uh, pictures. I did 
let's start back here. Uh, what's her name? Here. Oh, Elizabeth. Hey, Elizabeth. And her Hayes. husband. Yeah, I, I did this to start off with, right? And I and I thought um, it would be so cool if she could look at it on her color computer or three, right? Well, she don't have one. <laughs> yeah, she only has a couple of two, so I believe. So I go all the way back to uh, up here. Uh, so I, I made a uh, GIF of it, and uh, I used that program there. And I said, try this then. And at least you can see it on your cocoa. And, you know, it's kind of grody. <laughs> it's awful. But it's them. <laughs> and it's a way to render it. This guy here um, that made the weekly winner on this particular machine also did it on the um, Coco. Paul. Olsen. Yeah, this was a guy you said you knew personally from Sportswear because yeah. they did a few I, games for the Coco and and then some other you know. Now things I used like to go this. over his house and we'd he, he'd give me his games he made and I'd swap <laughs> stuff with him and we'd uh, play on the Coco for a while and my son and his daughter would play together. You know, they were little kids. Now uh, his. Uh, daughter it was a uh, tv um um you know like she did the news you know <laughs> in san francisco or somewhere and she's awesome uh, grown-up woman you know and you know my son's doing uh music at a, and he has his own uh music studio so it's cool how time goes by anyway yeah back in toledo ohio uh during the day i, I should have brought up the coco version i have but um yeah, I put this up on the first because it was Canada Day, but I don't know if anybody cared to see it or anything. But it, no, it, I saw it. Yeah. So that's about it. I do a lot of these uh, high color two images and post them. Um, when you start off with a real nice picture like that, and then you go and do something, it's, at least you can see it on the Coco three, and then when you see it on the Coco two or or one, using the um, Coco VGA is pretty cool. Uh, you never ever thought that you would ever be able to see any image like this on uh, Coco 2 or Coco 1. Never. I mean, even with, uh, you saw how rough it is to see a GIF image on uh, Coco 1 or 2. It's just like impossible to really have it look nice. But uh, Coco VGA does great. That's it, guys. Thank you very much. Cool. Thanks, okay, thanks, Ron. Yep. Nice graphics. And I think we had some people with some project updates and acquisitions, yeah. too. Yeah, let's see. Let me see if I can actually catch up with the titles. There we go. Uh, let's see. Um, Grant, I'll do you up first. All right. So, uh, basically, I don't know if everybody knew or not, uh, I had a uh, bookshelf <laughs> that uh, collapsed in the middle of the night uh, just a couple weeks ago. <laughs> so, all of my Coco stuff came crashing down and everything. It was a big mess. So, I decided to redo my room, and I finally had some time to go through my um, pile of magazines that I got at Coco Fest. They were the $399, the $390 uh, bid that I won. And I found some very interesting ones. So I'll start with this one first. Um, this one here is the TRS-80 Micro Computer News. I don't know if anybody's ever That's the one. This. Radio Shack themselves would let you subscribe for free for six months when you bought a Coco or any oh. other TRS-80. Right. Cool. So it's pretty cool. Uh, how, you know how long it was, in, uh, was going for or anything? It went or? from 78 till 84. 
84, maybe beginning of 84, I think. You remember, oh, wow. Rick? Not exactly, but yeah, Radio Shack was your place. Yeah, Seven, 78 through about 80, 81, they were black and white, actually. Okay. And then they went full color. Yes, it started off with the Model 1. Because yeah. I had a, a, a couple of Coco 2s and a Coco 3, so I kept getting more magazines. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, awesome. Uh, so then the other ones I, that I ran across too, this one is called the Australian Coco. So Nick probably knows uh, something yeah. about this one. Yeah, yeah. Is this is this the Rainbow? Did Rainbow do this one or is this a No, no. That was uh the the one they released to be away from the Rainbow. So that one's got the Australian content in it. Okay. And oh, by the I way, also- Grant, I just want to mention something from the chat here. Chris Stewart says there's way too much Kansas City stuff in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be a sore loser. That's all I have to say. <laughs> um, so anyway, so, and then I, <laughs> so then I, um, do- that's the, uh, yeah, that's the uh, rainbow version. Okay, cool. So now, Nick, we were discussing this before you joined the show, actually before the show officially started. Um, the Australian Rainbow one, that was one that I think started basically being uh, basically Rainbow shipped all the, you know, the ad copy. Yeah, and, and it was type it copy was to licensed. duplicate it because it was cheaper to manufacture in Australia than to ship it. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> but then they started adding in their own Australian columnists and and, and their own Australian yeah. stories. So it became that, a mix, right? Yes, that's right. So uh, it started off because it was hard to get the American Rainbow, the, you know, the original Rainbow in Australia and at a a cheap enough price this guy in um wherever he was in melbourne he actually licensed uh properly licensed uh to be able to take the american rainbow and copy articles he only copied articles he he didn't do any of the ads just the articles that made the australian rainbow uh but over time we were getting more and more australian content being submitted and there was enough there to create another magazine, and that was that the Australian Cocoa, that that first magazine you showed. So uh, both those magazines are by the same people, then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yes so, and no. The original was started by a, a fellow, uh, but he passed away, and someone else took over. And the, yeah, the 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 new uh, operators then uh, created the those copies that you have there. Yeah, and I'm looking here. It's a it's a company called Soft Gold. Is is who did it? That uh, was that his company? Yeah, because I see it both here for the, on the on the uh, you know the, the inside page where it tells you about the uh, the founders and who oh, right. editors and all that stuff. And both of them are Soft Gold. Right. Is the uh, does it say the founder the original founder's name? A Graham um... Greg Wilson. Greg Wilson, that's it, yeah. That's the guy who passed away suddenly in the middle of it? Well, what I heard um, is that he was actually murdered. Um, Oh. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Anyone watching knows the full story. uh, Pipe up. But I I seem to recall that he he was actually killed. Um, I don't know. I don't know the details. So the rainbow just, uh, the rainbow he had suddenly stopped. And of course, eventually it had to be sold off, and uh, someone else, Graham Morfitt, I think his name is, took over. And but his goal was always to make 
a genuine Australian magazine, not just a licensed Rainbow magazine. So that was that second, uh, that first magazine you showed us. Okay. That might be something to look into, Curtis. That might well, be. I, I, did, I didn't hear. I didn't know anything about that. <laughs> Probably there might be. Uh, if you read the uh, magazines, maybe it'll say something around the time where they did the switchover. So maybe there's an explanation. I, I do here. remember. Like I've, I've read some of them <clears throat> online, and I do remember them mentioning that the original founder had passed away. I don't remember anything about it. I don't know how much detail it goes into, but uh, that was what I had heard. So. I don't know. Let's start a rumor. (laughs) 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 All right. And then another one that I came across too, which I have about a year's worth is called Undercolor. I have no idea what the, that, that was done by Dennis Bathory kits of green mountain micro. The same guy did the lower kit, and we've had him as a guest on the show. Um, He's also the little guy who writes operas and stuff too. Uh, and that one eventually uh, it folded into rainbows. So you'll see some rainbows with up in the corner. It'll say now incorporating in, uh, undercolor. And that's basically when they kind of took over the subscriber base. Well, cool. he involved mm-hmm. in hot cocoa too. Well, he wrote columns. I mean, he he actually mm-hmm. did stuff back for the tier city model one and three and 80 micro back in the day too, even before the coke came out. So he used kind of, you know, scattered throughout type thing, but he was, he was mainly a music guy. He just happened to get into computers because computers started to be able to do music. Wasn't this the Green Mountain Micro checkered tablecloth yep. ads guy? Yep, that's Dennis yep. Kitts. Yep. Okay. <laughs> He's grayer now, but he looks basically the same. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. And then another one here, I have uh, about half a year's worth. Of, actually, I think this one came out by monthly. So this will be a year. Uh, is the Coco Clipboard Magazine. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. This this one I remember seeing, but I've, I've never owned a copy of that. So I've never actually read any of those, I don't believe. Do you have just one or two of those, or do you have sets of those? I have a year's worth, so I have six of them, because it it came out bi-monthly. And just let everybody know, I'll go through the archive and see if the ones I have here are already in there. If not, then I'll get them scanned and put up there as well. Sweet. All right, and then the last one that I came across here is Spectrogram. Yeah, and this was actually a pretty thick one. I've I've got one issue of this uh, myself that I picked up at Rainbow Fest back in the day. I didn't subscribe to it, but I I did pick one up. Yeah, this Um, one here is about 80 pages is what this one was. I I don't remember who actually did that one, though. Let me see if it says anything here. And it came out during the early, early Coco 3 era. Yeah, this one came out in 86. Um, Melody... Publications out of Rockford, Illinois. David Melody was the editor and publisher. Hmm, we'll have to see if we can get a hold of him and bring him on the show sometime. It'd be interesting to hear this story behind Spectrogram because it it was pretty good size. Like some of the other ones, you know, came out quite thin if they're trying to compete with Rainbow or even Hot Cocoa and stuff when they were still around. But that one came kind of out of the gate running with a pretty good size magazine right off the bat. Yeah, yeah. So I was just kind of cool to see actually see those. I never heard of. Uh, of those magazines like that before. So it was a nice find in my, uh, the lot that I got from Coco Fest. So was that part of uh, Bob Swords? No, Stuff no. Was- uh, this was a gentleman who, uh, I also got a whole bunch of rainbows with it too. So, uh, with the, uh, our the hard, uh, red, um, uh, binders? B- binders, binders. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, it was a, it was a nice find. So, but, uh, so you have a yeah, lot of duplicates or, yeah, I do have some duplicates. Uh, I got uh, also I got all the 
I have completed my whole rainbow collection and the hot cocoa collection there. So, um, so I'm getting pretty much everything I've been looking for. So, which is good. So. You'll be the yeah, Brian so- Weasler of magazines for the cocoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. So when, uh, if anybody needs, uh, missing episodes or, uh, uh issues, uh, let me know. I think Curtis, you had a few that you were looking for. So let me know. And I will, uh, try to help you guys, uh, complete your collection. So cool. cool. <clears throat> all right. That's all I had, sir. Okay. And I think Bob Emery had some stuff yeah, to show Bob off too. Next. See if I can unmute myself. <laughs> okay. So just kind of wanted to show off my little desk set up here and a few interesting little highlights. First of all, the the door on this 1084 is actually broken, but how'd you fix it? So I I got this little uh, piece of plastic off of a like a screw container from a hardware store. Literally just cut a piece of plastic and taped it in there. So it'll just kind of grip on. And that's the exact same door that the the Magnavox 8515, which I have, which also Mm -hmm. has a broken (laughs) door. Yeah. Well, I I have uh, one. good Good news, Curtis, no soldering. Oh, I have a chance. <laughs> yeah, I so actually, I actually glued my door open, so it's always there, but yeah. it's glued there because it doesn't stay up. So I just glued it so it stays, so it doesn't look broken. It just looks open all the time. Yeah, yeah like that. Like that. <clears throat> Otherwise, I have to say, Bob, obvious. I really like the fact you put a Tandy Coco uh, label on the door a badge there. On there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had <laughs> to do silly Amiga like stuff. Twenty eight badge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but technically speaking, that probably weighs it down a little bit. <laughs> Going to cut down my top speed, right? Yeah. So one other uh, thing, this is something that I acquired from uh, David. Um, David Glad? Reading or David Breeding. Oh. Uh, before the fest, I stopped and picked up his collection, and this was something that was in there i can figure out where my camera's pointing of course everything is upside down but quite the octopus of connections here basically you've got your two joystick inputs which i have going to a single joystick a high-res input with the mouse and switches for everything so i can turn the left joystick on or off the right joystick. Where's um, Jason? Yeah, because right? <laughs> it's a little more modern, but I am going to hook this up for now just to make it work. Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of cool. It is sufficiently evil looking. Yeah, and yeah. you got the, of course, you got the cassette in and out. Well, that must so, have been quite the wiring job in there. Oh, so you don't have to I unplug reckon. the high res. Yeah, it does do yeah, everything. You don't have to it? unplug the high res. And even with my dual joystick, I don't even have to unplug the stick if I have the wrong one. Just flip the switch. Right. Yep. And it looks like you're a Bond villain, so that's cool too. So. Right, right. Yeah. I might uh, redo some labels for it, but this has kind of got some pretty cool character to it. 
I'd hang it on the wall so you can see it. <laughs> yeah, it could use a good mount. Yeah, and you don't want it sneaking around behind you unobserved. <laughs> oh, <the little> legs. <laughs> I got one of those too. Yeah, I think I saw one of those in the movie Alien, didn't I? <laughs> exactly. Then I guess the the other really cool feature that I have here that um, I know a lot of people don't really have room for a color computer setup. So you can see I've got my 1084 here on this uh, riser with the power strip. So I can turn on and off individual parts. The MPI and disk drive, the computer itself. Pop things apart. Do a quick convertible job. Oh, I don't know if Don's still watching, but um, here's his serial card that I built. Oh, yours is so pretty, too. <laughs> <laughs> right? And this is the one that was like his very original board. It won't quite fit in a case. I need to do some modification to it. Oh, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was a failure on my part. Sorry about that. Do Don't you worry, remember so. which way to stick it in there? <laughs> <laughs> the, the other thing I think I'm going to do is uh, take out the socket under this... Uh, EPL chip or whatever it is, because it just sits up a little too high. Yeah, but uh, you could uh, you could always uh, just nail clipper the pin shorter too. But uh, yeah, I thought about that too. I don't know. It probably wouldn't be too hard to desolder uh, if it ever failed. I don't know. Yeah, but then anyway, I can just throw my very back on my. Well, that's your SDC. It's actually in the Coco 3 right now. Yeah, and you see SDC Explorer up on your, your main monitor uh, on yeah. the left there. Back the camera back out a little bit. But anyway, just a nice little kind of convertible setup so I can run the real hardware or just run a basic and, you know, swap it out. Again, this is uh, got more of my little uh, 5 volt or 12 volt trigger modules here. So I'll be doing more of these. I'm actually going to this is what it looks like before you modify the top half. Probably can't see the inside part. That's of your it. USB power supply thing, or yeah. So it's actually in there. So it doesn't quite. For the audio there. listeners, he's showing a back of a Coco three case that he's actually changing yeah. to use USB to power the Coco itself instead of the actual. Yeah. Regular so you can plug. see about how much has to. It's like maybe a millimeter. It's so close, but even if after you do it, if someone went back to a cord, you would never notice that you had added that little. Yeah, extra exactly. Bit. It's it's pretty subtle. I can actually show that too here. So I have this case. These cables and. The whole reason I'm doing this is, of course, it's stuck to the wall. 
see there. This is this is the top that I first modified. And I had switched lids on these two computers and the colors didn't quite match. This one is slightly more yellowed. But uh All right. Seems fine. Yeah. Can't even on the camera right now, it's not really showing a color difference much at all. I guess a little bit. Uh, well, this angle, is but... this is the matching case again. I've oh, that is. switched okay. them back. So the bottom case is is the the one over there that's a little whiter, and the top case, that top case is the whiter one that was on here when I did that modification. So I had switched them temporarily. Now they're switched back, and I need to modify that top. Can you remember the day that Coco 3 came out and you first looked at the back of the computer compared to a Coco 2 and you thought, wow, look at all those ports. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then this is the uh, three millimeter file that <laughs> does all the things uh -huh. out there. <laughs> I think I did this. I have this going on a, a video that I'll be posting soon, but Kind of got a, a little bit of a, nub, a notch there already, so it's real easy to just ride in it and take out about a millimeter. Oh man, reminds me, I got to sharpen my chainsaw. I don't get the kind of case modifications. Are you doing there, Rick? <laughs> <laughs> no, I need to file. I got to. Oh. I see you got a 720k drive hooked up too, or a three and a half inch. Speaking of modifying an MPI for the oh, yeah. PC supply, uh, that's is that what you did with your chainsaw? Yeah, yeah, I cut mine way back. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah, just outside of the outside of the bus sockets, but yeah. This is why I no longer need the power supply that uh, Don rewound. In fact, you can cut that small enough to fit in a small MPI case. Mm -hmm. Just, yeah, just throwing it out there with a, with a good paper cutter. And well, what's it like to, to put your hand on a working cocoa that, that's been on a while and it isn't warm? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my 3P is like that. I can run for hours and not even warm up. But yeah, I have a I have a smaller MPI too, but it doesn't have a case either, and that's just how I got that one. I don't know why. Oh, that wasn't one that was pre-mounted in a PC case or anything. No, I I think maybe the previous owner was going to and never did, but that was uh, that was a lot that I got back in the '90s uh, down in Round Rock near Austin. I mean, that's that's the funny thing, because the, the PC case, like repackaging a coconut PC case, was hugely popular in the 90s. I knew lots of people that did that. And then it kind of fell out of favor. Everybody in the the 2000s now wants their uh, their cocos back in the original case. It's kind of strange. It flipped to 180 degrees the other way again. Exactly. Yeah. I know. I'm still going to keep my one big tower case. Yeah, that was, the, that was the one how we discovered you, if I remember correctly. That was when you were kind of tearing that apart and showing the insides. Yeah, that was like one of my first uh, videos, that and the Coco 3P. Yeah, I never got brave enough to do that, but then I bought a TC9, which is already in a PC case, so it's kind of, I cheated. <laughs> no soldering, <laughs> no cutting, no nothing. Just buy it from Frank. Well, 
Okay. I, since everyone's showing off their stuff, I think I might show off mine. Is my video playing? Yep. Yep. If you're so showing I, off your uh, new Coco SDC, then that yeah, we're seeing it. Yeah, yeah. So finally, uh, I got the uh, a replacement to my uh, faulty uh, SDC that I had, and that's the one I bought from um, from uh, Ed uh, and the Zipster. <laughs> so. Yeah, it so works what fine. It, what did it wind up costing you with shipping and all? I think I paid in, well, in dollars was about 105 but that's in Australian dollars. So it works out to about 80, 80, what was it? 80 something, 85 US with shipping. So it, was, it oh. wasn't too bad. Yeah, it's not it, too bad. Yep. Yeah, it's not too bad, and it it, it came in. It arrived in about uh, two two and a half weeks from the US, and uh, yeah, it works fine. I bought and you got the, the new um, marbled style case, right? The different marble colors. Marbled style, yeah. Um, I did. I did want a black one originally, but he didn't have any black, and because um, I thought if it was black, it would look like uh, the floppy controller, you know, the black cartridge there, but. He didn't have any, so I just went with this marble one. I didn't want the white because the white is too white. It looks, I don't know, mm. it looks cheap against the cocoa. Well, but it the makes marble the cocoa is, look yellow. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, it does. It really makes it stand out. <laughs> um, but that one there. My old one, my old board now, I'll just move the cocoa out of the way. That's my old one. I don't know if you can see it because the lighting's not really great. Now this is an original um um Darren Atkinson made one. So I bought this. It was one of the first ones uh ever made and that, that were purchased. And it, it's been fine, but now it's died. And how did it die? Well, when um the flex came out by uh what uh what's his name? Michael Furman. Yeah. Michael Furman and he uploaded the files. I went to run the flex, and it wouldn't work on my cocoa, but it worked on uh, the the same DSK worked on uh, the emulators on the on the PC. So I thought, well, maybe I've got to update the uh, firmware on my controller. which you would because it, it, it there was a bug fix, yes. I believe, to the SDF that, format. That's right. So I went and started uh, just reburning the um, the firmware, and it froze halfway through. And it never worked after that. The SDC still worked. The ROM comes up. The SDC um, ROM still works. Everything else, the drive wire, everything worked. But it just would not access the SD card anymore. So, And if I try to reburn it again, it just doesn't even start burning the firmware. Nick, so I don't know what... <clears throat> Nick, you probably just need to replace the... At Mega 328P with a new one with the current firmware pre-programmed into it. It's probably just right. the, right. the flashing process weird. went went belly up. Yep. And which one of the which is that chip of the of far right side? one? The 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 28 pin narrow the chip. Oh, the long the long one. Right. Yeah, that's that's the that's one. the At Mega the 328P. Yes. Ah, okay. That's the microcontroller. Well, a- That's the actual part that does the uh, um, emulation and reading the SD card. Did you try and right. spray it with that? Uh, the <laughs> No, that's that's well, a thing that, that you can. That, 
Hey. Gone. I was I'm just going to say. I was getting bit again. <laughs> Go ahead, Rick. I was just going to say, that's, that's a part you can break if the firmware update goes bad. That's one good reason why it's in the socket. <laughs> you can just oh, so there's it. no way to actually fix that? No, you it can go away you, you can't you can't burn it anymore because it's wandered off. They, they no, can you can uh, you can reprogram it, but you need an EPROM programmer like an Atmega three the um, the, yeah. the TL eight what is it eight six six two plus or um, if you have an Arduino Uno and a um, what they call an Uno uh, ISP hat. You could reprogram it using the Arduino IDE with the the hex file that Darren puts out. So you could right, reprogram normal, it that way. But the normal flash it process no that anymore. right if 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 the, if the bootloader got screwed up on it, it's you just have to pull the chip out and reprogram it how he would have done it. Back but if you need then all that, in a programmer. This- so if someone send me a chip, please. I'll give you a money. Yeah, that's what that was my next uh, question. Uh, where can I get actually get a chip and just with, with the in? programming on it that you need? Yeah, right. yeah, um, that's right. Well, I'm sure Ed could do it. Um, any of yeah, us I'm in a- the community could do it if we had the 328Ps handy. Frank, I would imagine chip. too, since he's producing the SDC as well. Yes, Frank would have yeah. them. Um, you know. Uh, by that point, you'd probably be paying a crap ton because the the 328P is like a $4 part. Programming, most people probably would be cheap. The thing that's going to kill you is the shipping. So you probably yeah. you'd want to find someone in Australia that could do it for you. In so, Maverick, maybe, or somebody? Um, Actually, probably. Um, I haven't right, really chatted with Ian, but... Yeah, that would be the easiest to someone oh. locally to you. Oh, well, if there's anyone in Australia who can do that, redo that chip, or sell me a new chip, rather. Uh, if yeah. I can get Ian's attention on the Tier City Trash Talk live tonight, um, just that'll be part of the news, but they're actually doing a live one. It's the last one for summer. They're taking summer break, too. Uh, but he'll be on the show, so I can ask him if he's a- capable of doing that. And on your behalf, right. if I can get a hold, you know, you get his Otherwise, attention in the chat. I, I don't mind getting uh, Ed or um, oh, I forget the other fellow's name. Frank. Frank. Yeah, I'll just order another chip and say, you know, just set because I, I assume that's still in the uh, in the new uh, SDCs as well, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. hasn't changed. Sorry. Actually, that chip is what I use in my PS2 to Coco joystick adapter. Is that same chip? Right. So right. You could always uh, swap it with your new one just to make sure it is that chip. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, you I, I, except you're probably a bit gun shy on that, eh, Nick? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been I'm, there. I'm yeah. Too, I'm too scared to to tamper with my nice new uh, working yeah. SDC. So I said, nah, that stays. <laughs> I'll keep it virgin. <laughs> well, it's nice to have two at least, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Well, that's what I thought. Done. I mean, yeah. That's to have right. a backup. Yeah. To give me a backup, yeah, because. Uh, Tell you what, life stops when the SDC stops. So, uh, <laughs> no, yeah, actually, driving. that was the one good thing. It actually paused Neutroid development for a bit there, so I didn't have to hear about it. No, for a while, no, unfortunately, it's all back up. Actually, we have DriveWire. <laughs> made on. me start using uh, DriveWire uh, an emulator. Backup. I've been using XRAW. XRAW is actually quite good, so it's been, it's been a good experience. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it's forced me to actually start developing using an emulator. <laughs> <laughs> also, I, I, uh, I, I want to mention, Nick, uh, Mikey in the chat room says, uh, at Nick uh, Marenti, sorry it broke your SDC. I'm still honored you even tried out Flex. Well, the, yeah, and, and now with the new SDC, it does work. So it's got the new firmware already burnt in there, and, and Flex does work. I would have loved yeah. to be in the room while you tried it on the new one. Now we just got to figure um, out why it, it broke the Nitrous 9 driver uh, for the 609. Because yeah, now it's yeah, running too fast. Yeah, that's that's the only thing that doesn't work. But that's, yeah, that's on all, yeah. all uh, SDCs with the new firmware, that is. And that was something Bill was talking to Darren about, but then Bill got super busy with his, his job and hasn't touched his Cocoa in two months, literally. Um, I did get a chance to finally look at the driver. We haven't changed anything. It's still Darren's original code. The only thing we added in was a slow, further slowdown for the uh, Gimme X. So it's something Darren did to the latest firmware that actually broke even his own driver. So right. six or nine anyway. It works on the six eight or nine fine, but yeah. Hey Nick, did you uh, program your uh, your different uh, spaces that you can use run at to you know make them run? Will that still work? Um, not in the new SDC. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know what's in the uh, the new SDC for the. No, I meant your old one. Can you still? Oh, my old one. They all still do work, actually. Oh, okay. It, it didn't. And uh, I remember I had the an original Coco ROM as one of the images, which was handy yeah. because some software that doesn't work with the SDC, I just do a a run at whatever that ROM was, and it right. up yeah, brings up disk basic instead of SDC. Yeah. Yeah, so nice. yeah, that that was good. Yeah. By the way, Nick, uh, Frank, Frank in the chat here says, "I know someone that can do that for Nick. I'll send you the replacement chips." Oh, okay. Well, uh, Frank, is it? Well, I'll, yeah. I'll send him an email, and I'll, 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 I can PayPal or whatever it is the money across. So you know, I've got to buy it off him, obviously, and uh, give him the address and everything. He can post it out. I got a question. What would cause that chip to go bad? Another chip? I don't know. I don't know. David, it sounds like that's a a problem that happens. Like you, you said from the way you were talking, you've actually experienced that before, where it just loses the ability to reprogram, right? Well, I I don't know Darren's code. How if if he overwrites the entire chip or if it's just part of it? But anybody that's been in in this business with EE proms and flash chips and stuff. Sometimes the the flash chip or EE prom just you hit its end of life write cycle and it just it's done or or mishap you know just a slight power glitch while it was writing and and Nick didn't notice the lights just slightly flicker or anything anything interrupts a flashing process mm-hmm. is bad and that's why on PCs when they say. It's recommended that your PC be plugged into a UPS if you update the BIOS, because if you lose power updating your BIOS, you your motherboard it. is toast. So, yeah, I don't think I had a power cut. It was burning, and you get that little uh, mm-hmm. in the in the in the burning software. You get a little blue bar, mm-hmm. you know, going a progress bar, and it got halfway, and then it just stopped. And I sat there looking at it, thinking, okay, is it really? Is it busy? You know, is it is it meant to take ten minutes? <laughs> so after that, I thought, no, nah, this is stuffed. <laughs> and yeah. it would. Frank, Frank says, by the way, the entire trip is rewritten and it has to be. So, to answer that question, 
Oh, exactly, because right. so, you don't know so what's these, broke. No, no, that's right. So, so is this uh, the the firmware? Does that only can that only write itself once? Like when they reburn the firmware, does it erase the old one and then burn the, the like an EEPROM? Yes. Or does it? Hopefully, yes. Yes, that, that that's oh. the that's the thing with the flash chips is that you gotta go through the erase block commands, and then right, after that, okay. then you have to do the write write commands. And if if you're in the middle of doing that, you know, if you did like for instance, if it went through the erase part, and then that was the fifty percent mark, and then the fifty percent mark is where it starts writing. Well, at that point, the chip is em- empty. So right. Um, and you can't uh, well. put it in backwards. Oh, I never thought of that. No, no, no it's not. <laughs> no. Well, right. Yeah, I, ne- I never touched it. I never touched it. Even oh, though it was okay. working one moment and Robert, then failed the next. So you're going to yeah. get a new one and make sure you put it in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So yeah, I might do that. I might uh, email Frank and just just uh, just buy another one from him and. And get my second, uh, my original SDC up and running. Yeah, I, I have two, and it's it's really nice having a backup just in case. It is something a comfort. Well, yeah. It is. Yeah. peace of mind because, like I said, because otherwise, you know, as you notice, Nick, everything stops dead. That's right. Mind. The SDC dies, or everything uh, dies. You're now here's <laughs> here's one of yeah. the things that I always recommend when you're doing the SDC stuff is always keep your older versions of the update files yeah so that way um like for instance with the current sdc the firmware has an issue but the sdc dos which is of course a separate rom from the firmware for the microcontroller that will work with the older uh microcontroller firmware so you can that's what what i had in the old one i was able to reburn the 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 dos so it was still booting up in SDC DOS with the latest one, but the uh, firmware for the SD card reader that didn't work. So yeah, yeah. which explains why your drive wires still work because that's totally yeah, through the DOS ROM still has work, nothing to do with software. the SD card reader. No, no. So yeah, that's so yeah. That's, great. No, I got a couple not... of comments from Frank here too. He says, uh, first of all, no, you can't install it backwards. Uh, the write lifetime is over ten thousand on the SSTs. That would not have been the issue. And he also no. mentions that Coco SDCs are now back in stock now. He's back from holidays, and his uh, second surgery in his hand went well. All right. Although, well, that's good. His hands uh, better. That's good. Um, well, you you can't put it in backwards. Cool. So yeah, I'll I'll email him and uh, I'll just buy another one from him. Okay. Cool. Anybody else got a project well, update or acquisition or? Uh, I think uh, Alan mentioned something earlier. The floor is yours, Alan, if you're around. Yep. Uh, let me see if I can share oh. screen here. All right, Kat, you got to go. Uh, <laughs> okay, if you can let me know if that comes through. Yep. Nostromo with a flashing at sign. That's correct. So this is the on-again, off-again game project that I've been working on for far, far too long now. Um, It ended (laughs) up accidentally taking a real-life break for a bit more than a year after my wife had a stroke. So um, I've gotten back into it. Uh, She's doing fine, but um, 
I've gotten back into it and um, got right back to where I had gotten stuck before, which was frustrating, but I've now gone past that. So what you see is essentially it's a survival game where you're chased by a monster and you have to go into these little areas, these eight little bays and pick up these resources and bring them back to this little red bordered area, which is supposed to be the shuttle to escape the Nostromo at the end of the movie alien, which is what inspired this game in 1980. So uh, where I'm at is uh, the pieces that I've just got into place are some of the player movement code. So, uh, and I've had to slow it down because the rest of the main game loop is not in play yet. So it's a little hard to control still. Um, but not only can I move, but I can now pick up the objects that you're supposed to be able to pick up and bring them back to the shuttle. Uh, they're not currently counting up in the shuttle or anything, and they're not showing that I'm holding them. But I am tracking how many there are. And in the original game, you're only allowed to carry five things. So now that I've picked up five things, I can no longer pick up any more until I go back to the shuttle and drop them off. So. Um, the last piece of the player movement code, now that I've got the pickup uh, and the initial count stuff done, the last piece of the movement code will be to let me bang into these walls and knock them down. So I've got some open holes already, but um, a re you know, really they'll all be complete when the level starts and you have to knock your way down into them. And these little pink blocks or these magenta blocks, they're like... Um, cargo that you can't pick up or move they're just obstacles so it, it you know, kind of changes the level a little bit each time that the game starts or each time you start a new screen you get a different random layout of where the cargo is in there and where the little cargo modules are um so once i get the walls knocking down which is the next piece of code it's probably three screens worth to go through then comes the movement of the alien itself, which is this little at sign and, and how he chases you around. And that's about half done. It's just currently disabled. Mm -hmm. And once I get him chasing around, then um, the main loop is basically done and it is finishing up the, the ancillary code. So I'm hoping, I don't know, if life continues to leave me alone for a bit, uh, maybe I'll have this by Coco Fest. And, and we can play it and share it and have fun then. Alan, I have a quick question for you, because this kind of reminds me of the Petski robots thing that Jay and I were working on, where we're basically taking the original character set from the pet duplicated on the Coco. And you know, that's how we're programming the game. But we're eventually planning on you know, updating the uh, the character set to a much more Coco 3-centric, you know, fully drawn shapes, et cetera. Is that something you're planning for this as well? Like you'll have the stock font that you know, duplicates the original computer this was on and well, then doing a fancy gussied up version? That, that's that's what you're seeing now is the original yeah. font from the original machine. My my question is, are you planning on doing an updated, you know, much more graphical rather than a text-based font for a kind of a an upgrade? Maybe um, there is someone out there who has done a, an NES console style version of this exact game, and oh. it looks fantastic, but they never released it. Oh, okay. There's just a video. Um, but now that I'm, I'm basically through the main game loop and understand the logic of how all of this is working, it would not be that drastic to add another screen and the, that screen be, you know, the, 
the modern updated interpretation. I do have a bunch of notes in my notebook for that. And I, I have seen it done that I could do something very similar. Uh, but my initial goal was here on this Coco 3 specific uh, screen to recreate the original bit for bit look of the NEC machine. Yeah, so, it's the same thing we did with Petsky. So yeah, totally yeah. understand. And you can see this is XROAR running a Coco 3 emulation, but it's managing it all as a Semigraphics 4 text screen for the map and drawing the the font on, onto the, the higher res screen. It, uh, my code right now also supports resolution graphics six. And uh, so that's the what they call P mode four. That's the, the black and white with artifacts colors version. It looks the exact same. It's just in grayscale, basically. I also support the Coco VGA. So it loads this set font that it's drawing bit by bit. It loads that into the Coco VGA and then runs the thing as just a text screen game on your Coco 1 or 2 if you have a Coco VGA. And I've got a currently broken straight Semigraphics 4 interpretation of this screen that you could theoretically run this on a 16K Coco with 4K, uh, 16K of ROM and 4K of RAM and still play the game. It'll just look like regular Coco graphics. So, okay. So all is five screen in... modes are in this same setup. And what I do is right now at boot, I, I have a config that picks one of those five modes and, and runs the, that game session in that five mode that'll be part of a config screen later. Is but this yeah, a uh, machine language game or, yes. or basic? The, the entire machine. point of this for me was to be the proof of concept of finally getting 6809 assembly code into my brain. Right. And so the original game on the NEC is a hybrid Z80 machine language for, for the main game loop and um, what's called N60 Basic, which is uh, the next generation of our extended color basic. It, it's right. So it has the same statements, the same kinds of graphics. The machine used the same VDG. It's running in essentially semi-graphic six mode. And they've updated the play statement, for example, to support the sound chip that was in the NEC rather than just do one bit beepy stuff. So it, it, the N60 basic is very similar to the Microsoft basic, uh, but the memory layout is completely different. And when I started looking at this at this game, I'm like, well, there's some stuff missing. It's like making ROM calls or something. Well, what it turned out is there's a machine language chunk in the tape image that's loaded directly after the basic code that then gets called into as the first line of the basic game that does the setup of the machine language pieces. And so I've taken all that apart, all the basic language piece and the Z80 assembly piece, and I've structured it to be one just straight 6809 assembly game without the Coco ROMs in place. So the first thing I do is shut all the ROMs off and flatten them out to make the 32 or 24K worth of space for the Coco 3 high-res screen to map in. So I'm doing all this wow. without any of the original ROM code or anything else. As part of my, can I prove it to myself? Can I do the joysticks without calling GatJoy? Can I do the keyboards without calling the, the console and driver and things like that? And those parts are all done and working, and I've published those on my webpage. 
So now is oh. the actual game logic pieces the, of recreating exactly how the alien worked. And uh, Jim Gary inspired all of this. So he found this game from a video where someone had basically just shown it being played, like high retro game lord or somebody. And he created an MC- What was the game called? Uh, it's called AX2 it. Nostromo. And AX2. AX2 Nostromo. And AX2 was ASCII Publishing's, they, they would publish a group of games on a tape. And AX2 was their second collection of four games. This was one of them. Uh, but he found this video of a game that was obviously a VDG game. And so he's like, look, I can do this on the MC-10. Drop dead. Did it. Boom. And he got super close just from looking at the video. So I saw that and I'm like, okay, I'm getting an MC-10 just so I can play this original mm-hmm. alien game. It's the first alien game in history. And it is considered the first survival horror game uh, in the history of gaming. Um because in later levels, the alien becomes invisible until it's in the hall right next to you. So it does stalk you invisibly around the maze uh, to improve the the, the difficulty. Um, and there's a huge article out there from the original author that explains why he did it that way and what inspired this game besides the movie Alien. But so Jim created this thing on the MC-10 from just looking at one. And it was great. Yeah, I got the MC-10, played it, loved it. And so I started looking for the original, and I managed to find uh, AX2 Uchu Yususen Nostromo, which was the Japanese name of the original thing, which means Space Freighter Nostromo. It's not too crazy. But then Jim saw me talking about the original name for the game, and he went and found it, and he did a conversion of the basic code and recreated the assembly pieces in MC10 Basic and, and updated his version of Nostromo so that it is accurate. And I'm like, Oh man, that is just too cool. And the only thing that was kind of left for me was to try to make it look like the original NEC version. And here's where I'm at, but you know, all hail Jim Gary, uh, you know, thank you for the inspiration. This was great. And I've learned just an amazing amount of stuff so far, you know, just trying to prove to myself that I can get through learning assembly on this, on this, you know, pretty, awesome little microprocessor compared to others, which were much easier to learn and much less capable. So. Mm. I, I, cool. I just found the uh, original one on YouTube. So I'm just looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a, there's a Russian video blogger named Panteri Asha who did a playthrough that Jim pointed me to at one point as well. And uh, I think Jim's son did a translation of the 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 transcription in Russian for that to figure out how the later rules of the game worked for his original port. So it's right. you know did there's a long history and yes it's being a long history of me getting to the point of getting this game to be playable. But you know <laughs> I at least finally I'm kind of it, it, I'm kind of back along. you're progress. back to making progress again. Yeah. So and that's Ooh, my cool. update. Good luck. And you're doing Doom next, right? Uh, no, Nick's already done that for me. <laughs> he did Gatecrasher. I, I had nothing for me to do here. Hey, Alan. Yes. Did you ever think of uh, having the very first stream, stream that comes on, uh, a um, scan of the Nostromo? 
you know, and then the title um, and then it goes away. Not the not the model from the movie. You're talking about the space spacecraft Nostromo from the movie Alien itself. No, correct. Uh, but what I did do is I converted the box art from the original AX2 game into an MGE file that I can load. And I've got the MGE loader code and some display stuff and stuff like that up on my webpage as well. But that okay. was the point of learning how the uh, MGE format worked and, and figuring yeah. out how to write a decoder for that. So one of my extensions would be to kind of, you know, go there and, and have it do the graphical loader piece as well. Cool. Oh. Cool. Well, keep keep us up to date on that. You're definitely making progress again, because like you said, you had to pause it for life. So glad, yeah. glad you're back at it. Yeah, me too. Now, how do I make this thing stop sharing? Because it's minimized things and done whatever. The, the very top of the screen, I think, is a uh, stop sharing, is. Thank isn't you. it? Or, yes. I or, the, or I can hit the button over here. Yeah, Mark B. you with the boot. No, that, that works too. So thanks for the indulgence, folks. Okay. Thanks for um, All right. That was it for project updates. Uh, how about a uh, quick commercial break and then uh, uh, game on? Sounds good. Okay. So here we go. Hi, I'm Terry Stege from Retro Tech Time and the Tandy Shack, and you're watching The Coco Nation, the world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. From the makers of the Switcheroo. Wallaby Cable, Color Computer 3 Dual RGB Cable. Get yours today at cocoman.biz. A whole new approach. Faster than ever. A window to a world of possibilities. Clear your expectations. Clear your hesitation. Just hit clear. EOU today at lcurtisboyle.com. Hey there, I'm Ken from Canadian Retro Things. And I'm Amy from Taylor and Amy Show. Yeah, that was Amy from Taylor and Amy Show. And you're watching the Global Nation Show.
Welcome everybody to the Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played Video Poker. We had a total of 18 participants. We had Mark B with 112. Charlie, 125. Tied for 15th place, we had AC's 8-Bit Zone and Graham W. with 130. Sabhead, 155. L. Curtis Boyle, 170. Mr. Dave, 6309, 210. Sloopy Malibu, 220. 8 Bits in the Basement, 225. Jim Rye, 290. Exile in Paradise, 330. Ed Rhodes, 335. Tasman, 410. Shenley, 425. Canadian Retro Things, 460. Coconut Bob, 545. Kieran, 1285. And this week's number one score belongs to Buck Owens with 5,090. Thanks, everybody that played. We'll see you again next week. The Coco Nation salutes Buck Owens. Yeah, look at that. Even on games where it, uh, there's no skill involved, he wins. <laughs> <laughs> where it's pure luck. Cheating, uh, so. cheating works for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> he did get a uh, royal flush, so that's hard to beat. <laughs> and I do have to uh, give an apology for last week's score count. I uh, missed one of the scores. I accidentally, uh, Brian Walsh, I didn't give his best score which should have been 24,593. So he should have actually been in second place, not third. So, oops. Mm. All right. So video poker. Did anybody have any strategies for this game? Don't play it in real life. Cause you go broke. Exactly. Oh, don't yep. go to Vegas. <laughs> yeah. It was just uh, basically getting a pair of jacks or better. Your I, I do know Buck, Buck had found a, a PDF of like the strategy to use it in real, you know, for real video poker type thing. Mm -hmm. And he posted the PDF for it on there. I didn't get a chance to read it, but I'm assuming there must be some techniques that give you slightly better odds. I think uh, one of the things was to go ahead and if you have a low pair, go ahead and select them and hopes that you might get three of a kind or a, a second pair. Well, actually, I always found that rather if you got a low pair and you've got a face card, keep the face card, not the low pair, because you have a better chance of hitting one of the face cards than you do hitting another low, uh, another one of the low pair. So, statistical odds, I guess. Yeah, that's statistical. I don't know how well that works. Well, but. and that's a really good point. Are they are they shuffling correctly and keeping the deck of cards and selecting out of that string or that shuffled deck properly and yada yada so does Paul video poker odds yeah, anywhere Paul like poker odds the whole deck I, I think I remember video poker itself actually reshuffles every yeah it should be reshuffled yeah. every deck like every you get a completely random deck every deal round. every deal yeah okay which is different so yeah you have to well that did more like blackjack or something where you would be using a deck and counting, be able to count the cards, but 
So what they're doing is they're keeping you from taking the poker odds table and just running that in your game and winning well, well, by you can cheating, use the, so to speak. You can use you can it, use but it doesn't odds apply, tail. really. Well, the really... odds tail would just count to having a fresh deck every deal. Okay, maybe I got it backwards then. It would be harder. Yes, doesn't even Vegas do that? They'll crack out a new set of cards every round through whatever game they're playing, don't they? I have no idea. Right? That's why I still have a house. Because I never went to Vegas. <laughs> but I know, like on Blackjack, if you're counting the cards, you're watching what other cards come out in the previous rounds, and then you can kind of calculate, well, two face cards right. have already come up, so my chances of hitting uh, Blackjack are still pretty good. Or right. But there they have the seven-shoe deck, so yeah, count your... You got to be really good in the mathematical brain stuff. Yeah, which I'm not. So that's why I don't gamble. The only mathematical thing I learned was don't gamble. <laughs> My odds suck. That's basically what I learned. So, yeah, basically, there's not a lot of strategy in this other than kind of figuring out some of the odds of the best way to play a hand. Yeah. The one thing I will mention is that. Um, Paul actually came out with the Cocoa 3 version during your two-week run of this game because the MC10 version yeah. was already out. The Cocoa 1-2 version came out. And while you were playing it, you know, the Cocoa 3 version came out. So, yeah. Something to play on any of the games or on any of the computers. Um, yeah. I don't know what else to say about it, but it's poker. And obviously, no reviews on it because it's a brand new game. And the other game that we were playing was The Lair. Now, I do see that Buck Owens has already put out a complete map of the uh, <laughs> entire game for you. So You might as well do the, uh, the scoring uh, this week because we know he's going to win. <laughs> well, no, now everybody has a chance because uh, he could have just kept the map to himself and scored oh, really he, well. He gave it out. Okay. But he, uh, he 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 did put it out on the uh, on the uh, site. So now his his yeah, map is he... just the map of the actual maze. It doesn't have a map of where all the things are, the monsters. No. The... no. So you still got some stuff you got to do on your own. And what if it's a the wrong map to throw everyone? <laughs> then he's just messing with us. Then extra points <laughs> to Buck for messing with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Don't encourage him. <laughs> yes, technically he did because he he posted it in inverse colors to what the game played. <laughs> yeah, somebody else fixed that up afterwards. I saw it too. They flipped it back. Now that was a game. I think Buck actually found, or was it you, Ken, that found the high score listing? It was actually one of the authors submitted it to Rainbow. <laughs> oh yeah, Buck found that. That's because that's coming up next week. Okay, yeah, because I don't remember ever seeing an ad for it. Maybe I missed it when I was going through rainbows, but... I mean, honestly, when you think about it, though, that's a good way to get your name on the high score list, make the game, and then submit your score. <laughs> yeah, that's what Nick does all the time. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes he doesn't even have to use Photoshop. No, no, just turn on the cheat. Just pre-program <laughs> the game with the high score. <laughs> 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 
So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, so if you haven't played that game yet or you've tried it out and don't understand quite what it is, um, there's little somethings that you pick up. And then there's slightly larger somethings that you pick up. When you pick up the slightly larger things, you get a counter going. I think they're supposed to be gold bars, but they look more like a rainbow. And uh, you get a counter. That's what I like about this show. In-depth reviews. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I think the smaller things are supposed to be coins and the other things are supposed to be gold bars, but they're not the right colors in either the inverse or the proper colors. So, And the the one gives you a timer for 150 to run over the the bigger The bigger things, the kind of gold bars or whatever they are, they give you a uh, timer. And while that timer is going, there's the little robots that are going around the uh, maze. You can run over them and kill them. When the time when your timer is at zero, they kill you. So, so is the main goal to kill all of them and then get all the treasures, or is it just to get all the treasures? Or does anybody know? I have no idea. Okay. The main goal. I is obviously to didn't run when around, I wrote my little page on it, but run around and stay alive. It does. Right. It does actually even say in the uh, beginning to the gate of the game, uh, "Don't bother to look for an exit because there isn't one." So I guess after the timer runs out, the uh, robots have had enough and they come after you. Yeah. They will follow you and stuff if you're on the same screen as them. So. Anybody have any strategies that they've been using in that game yet? Haven't even tried it yet. I haven't played it yet. Well, all right. Don't die. Yeah, <laughs> don't die. Oh, by the way, uh, Nick, uh, Mark Siegel's asking in the chat, uh, do Nick's games have a god mode? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Here come the secrets, folks. <laughs> yeah, no, Only when they Nick don't plays actually. them. <laughs> Only when Nick plays them. I was going to say, isn't that IDDKFA? What? Huh? Oh, never mind. I think that's the god mode for Doom. Yep. Oh, okay. Sure. All right, well, I guess there's not much else to say about the games from this week. So I will say on Thursday, we had a uh, live showing and uh, don't have Sloopy here to show the video. So I will attempt to show a slideshow of Thursday night's uh, <laughs> live game on challenge. Hence to waiting to upgrade his squirrel. Yeah, I just found out that I'm not getting an upgraded internet at my place until... What was supposed to be this spring is now 2025. Oh, geez. Ooh. Ouch. You know, I think it might get satellite internet or something. Right. So there we go. Um, we had a bunch of people playing various games, uh, poker, the lair, and somebody was playing Dungeons of Daggereth. And I think we had... Up to about, I think, up six six people playing at once during the uh, live show. Um, my internet did end up dying close to the end of it, so I don't know how long we went on for. So, man, I couldn't even join you guys because I was swamped with work at the time. So I I popped into the chat maybe an hour and a half in just to mm-hmm. say hi, basically. I think I was at almost the two hour mark when my internet kind of crapped out on me. Yeah, it wasn't much longer than that after uh, Sloopy and I both called it quits. That was about it. Oh, okay. Right about 10 o'clock. 
Eastern, I guess. I do have Over those looking on the screen, you can see a couple versions of it running. You can see uh, yeah. two, the Cocoa 1 and 2 versions on the upper left, upper right, and you can see the Cocoa 3 brand new released version on the lower left of the screenshot or shared screens. And I think was uh, I think somebody was playing the MC10 version later on. Yeah, I switched to the MC10 later. Okay. Oh, and Sloopy was playing the wrong game. He's <laughs> trying to pull Nate Bits in the basement and get his uh, name up on the score as a um as the uh, top score in the wrong game. He was playing new <laughs> No, he said a no, game. No, he was poking. Uh, po- <laughs> yeah, he was playing poker squares. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. I, I wouldn't even dignify talking about Neutroid. Yeah, exactly. There you go. There's the MC10 version up there, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, third from the left top mm. row, right? Yeah. So, so all, all versions were being played. So that was nice to see. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, so that is our live gaming thing. I expect uh, lots of people to be showing up for it. Come on, people. It's summertime. You have time. Thursday nights, whatever your local time says it should be. Sun's not down yet. I know it's uh, five o'clock on the West Coast, so you got you can figure it out for your own time zone. Or whatever time zone I'm in now, it's seven o'clock. So you don't even know which one you're in. <laughs> no, no clue. I'm right no I'm right near the uh the time cutoff for where where I'd be on Toronto time, but I'm not quite that far. Okay. All right. So yeah, that, that is that. So um one thing I do want to mention too is um in next week, we are going to be doing a game that is you have to purchase. So it's uh, the new Asteroids version, Asteroids RX. So I'll put a link in the um, Game on Challenge channel so you can figure out where to go to buy that. And that one will be starting next week. So that's not this week's new game. We're playing the lair for another week, and we are also playing this game, if anybody knows what it is. Oh, that's a dragon game. Yes, it is. Uh, it's Cuthbert. I win. They're all Cuthbert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as soon as Curtis said it's a, uh, it's a, it's a uh, yeah. dragon game, you have about a 50% chance of being right if you say it's a Cuthbert, Cuthbert game. something. Yeah. <laughs> Cuthbert does something somewhere or something. <laughs> <laughs> Except this one's cheating because it's showing artifact colors, which the dragon didn't have yeah. in, in the yeah, UK. Yeah, there, this is a, there's a, a version that was uh, updated to show the artifact colors on the Coco. So it is. Dun, 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 dun. Um, where's the title screen? There it is. Cuthbert in space. In space. What, what does Cuthbert shoot in space? As you notice by the title screen here, this was licensed by Tandy in the UK. So Tandy themselves sold this game on behalf of Michael Deal for the Coco. So if Cuthbert's in space, 
and in space, no one can hear you scream. That means that when the face hugger gets cut, burnt, we're not going to have to hear about it. Awesome. Exactly. <laughs> By the way, Sixty is not impressed with the intermission mode. And he goes, oh, God, I really hate the intermission game in this. It's just suddenly drops text mode and you play make the numbers the same. <laughs> I don't think I've ever gotten that far. <laughs> I, I definitely did not get that far when I tried out playing it. So, and when are we playing Astros RX? Starting next next week. next week, starting. Okay. And where do we get that at? I will post the link in. Well, actually, I can post the link. Uh, just give me a minute, and I'll post it in the uh, chat, and then I'll also post it in the Discord channel. Awesome. Cool. And it's a pretty righteous port. Yep, okay. originally by the Happy Coding X mm -hmm. on the Spectrum, and then Paris Rat converted it to the Cocoa and Dragon. Uh, so good. I have a couple of game things to talk about. Okay, well, I'm done, so. Uh, all right, in, uh, in the game news, isn't it? In Rainbow, uh, November 1988, in the section called... Uh, Coco 3 hardware. <clears throat> this is what the page looks like. No, uh, I guess I got to get rid of it. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It ain't going to work unless I get rid of this thing. Takes two minutes per second. De warp. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, <clears throat> here's the. Now that's a garage. Here it is. Okay. Now, if you look right here, that is the. Uh, uh, joystick that uh, Brian had on the show. And, oh, can you, uh, can you hold it closer to the camera? Yeah, yeah show it right in the camera. There you go. The commander. See. Yes. See it? Oh, yep. beauty. Yeah, okay. Right. There it is. Now I didn't me, remember that. Now, let me read what it says. It's number 17. Uh, it says, uh, if it's a self-centering joystick you want, here it is. The Commander Deluxe Joystick with its four fire buttons for lefties and righties both. The joystick was designed for another com other computer systems, but has been modified by CRC Disto for the, Coco, <laughs> for the Coco's joystick ports from CRC Disto at $29.96. I didn't remember that at all. Holy cow. Yeah. The <laughs> investigative trail. Look at that. Check that out. Huh? <laughs> yeah. And then the other Tony Disco slumming. you a lunch. Yeah. The other That's thing. I, I, nuts. If you go to um, the Coco group on uh, TR City Color Computer Coco, there's a uh, picture of uh, some color computers and Donkey Kong. It's from the home computer museum and it has really nice things to say about uh, the color computer three yeah i think i saw that they were saying like donkey kong was the closest 8-bit version yeah. made you want me to well. read it real quick instead of waiting to bring it up and all here's what it says yep one of the best versions of donkey kong is on the tandy color computer three despite the tandy color computer three not having a sound ship in it it makes the same sounds as the original game the Tandy Color Computer 3 never had a, a release in Europe. A shame, really, because uh, because these were quite powerful machines. 
its Motorola 6809E CPU blasting away at 1.7 megahertz can do a lot. It's designed with partly 16-bit capabilities, allowed multi-user and multitasking operations where the operating systems OS 9 made use of. Even today, things are being discovered on how to use a 1986 Tandy Color Computer 3 to do things they were never thought of it can do. There is even some interest for the demo scene to use this machine. Hopefully, in the future, we'll see some amazing demos. You will. That's it. Nice. It that was on the Facebook group, right, Ron? Just that was, yeah, Facebook uh, Color Computer Coco. That's from the guy in the Netherlands. Yeah, some uh, computer museum, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Matt Witt, the home computer museum. Yeah, we featured his uh, museum. He's had a few videos about his museum and stuff, too, and he's got some really cool stuff there, including Coco stuff. And yeah, it's it's too bad Tandy never did release the Tandy Coco 3, except in North America and Australia. Um, I think it would have done pretty good in, in some of the you know European and possibly the UK, because it was a big yeah. step up from a Coco yeah. 2. And an interesting note is he has a monitor showing Donkey Kong, and it doesn't have a door on it, and it's not a CM8. <laughs> well, like so, I said, my Maggie, the, the door's broken my Maggie, too. It's yeah. kind of hanging on by a thread there. but this, this looks like a sharp or something. I can't read it. Tandy. Right. Oh, it's a Tandy. No, I think it's a um, uh, 11. What do they call it? It's the... I have eleven a, a fr French version. Yeah. The door is a big door if, if it was on there. Anyway. Okay. okay. Also, Ken, uh, just, just for the people that are listening to the podcast here, um, for the uh, Asteroids game coming up in a couple weeks, what is the price of that? Or is it one of those pick your price, donate type uh, things? $4.99, I believe. Let me just bring yeah. it up here. $4.99 or better. $4.99 USD or more. Okay, um, Curtis, you want an intro or you want to go into... No, not news? for this one. I've only got a few things, so we'll okay. breeze through this. We'll do the intro for the actual news news. Yeah, we want to see the fire burning in here. <laughs> okay, so let me share my screen. Share the sound. Okay, you're seeing a hall of shame there? Yep. <laughs> yep. Hall of shame. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's uh, my soldering skills versus other people's soldering skills. That's where I come in. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so I had a, uh, a YouTube channel that's called A Gaming Channel by LR. I have no idea who LR is, but he's been covering Coco games and Dragon games, more Dragon games lately, but he covered one of each this last past week. So the first one he did is Boris the Bold. And he does slightly longer gameplays, like he doesn't do a quick one minute and that's it. He actually tries to get a decent score. Um, so he mentions here on the description, he got a score of 1491 and got up to screen seven. It's kind of a little uh, platform thing here. I don't know if you guys remember this one. We have covered it quite a while ago, but uh, let's put it right in the bonus round. But basically, you're the little yellow guy. You have to pick up the gems and dodge things and hump, jump through the uh, you know moving platforms and then hit the exit on the lower right and then press the next screen where things get faster, etc. So that was the one he covered for the dragon, and then he decided to cover one on the Coco, which he doesn't do that often. He even mentioned specifically it's the NTC Coco, so we are getting artifact colors there, and he played Chambers by Tom Mix, written by John Crane in 1983. This is actually one of my favorites. 
Um, because it's got a whole bunch of uh, different sets of mazes in your mission. If you're looking at the video here on the upper right corner, you can see a map, and each one of those squares with an orange or blue dot is a room. And you'll play through every, each room, and you have to blast things, get keys to open up uh, to get to the next level, etc. The main thing is to get to the reactor in the very middle, that blue square. So you have to clear out the other ones first. And once you complete that, there's another 20 or something, you know, sets of maze rooms to go through. And I think we have played this one before on the challenge. Ken, do you know off the top of your head? I don't remember it. I don't think so. No. Doesn't look it's... familiar. Curtis, okay, because I say... thought we did it a long time ago, like maybe when Nick Moroto was still doing the It might have been but... before my time, so I'd have to look back in the list. Anyway, if, it, if it's not, and we have not played it, I'd, I'd suggest this is a, is a good one. That should challenge people for a bit. Curtis, did you say that there wasn't really a, a Mr. Tom Mix? No, there was. Just, oh, there His name was Tom one? Mix. Oh, yeah. okay. Who sadly passed away uh, oh. several, multiple years ago. He lived in uh, Michigan, not too far from Paul Thayer, actually. So Mix wasn't a uh, shortened part of his last name. It was nope. actually... His name was Tom Mix, same as the actor. Ah. No relation as far as I know. There's okay, pictures of him in Rainbow. If you go through the Rainbow Fest reviews where they kind of like take pictures of the Rainbow Fest and show all the different booths and people that are attending and stuff here, you can see a couple pictures of Tom. That's what always threw me off. I assumed Tom Mix was stolen from the actor's name. I never realized there was a guy with that name. Yeah, he actually published some articles in the very earliest uh, Color Computer News, I think, um, himself too, same as uh, Rosenbaum did for Spectral Associates. I kind of wonder why. I thought it was really I wonder cool why the it, M. Yeah, well, oh. it, it's Tom Mix uh, is in there. You know, yeah, it, looks T, like it says TM basically. Uh, yeah, merged together as one letter. That was his later logo. His earlier logos were a bit simpler. Okay. Because the 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 word mix, what's that weird? It it's almost like it's it a T and an M combined into one letter. If you take a look, right. If you, if you look like at Sailor Man, its intro screen had the TM combined, I think Dragon Slayer and a few other later games too, like around 84, 85, I think, is when he started doing the combo one. Right. This this is an early version of the combo, but he got a lot fancier. Later I'll on. play the game. We'll see what the game looks like. But yeah, Ken, if, if you get a chance to take a look, I wouldn't mind knowing if we have played this one. I For some reason, I think we did, but maybe I'm remembering wrong. That's entirely possible. Hey, now this one is a bit of a special request I got from Tim and AJ, of course, uh, sibling rivalry, and I'm I'm wearing their shirt today, if you guys noticed, depending on how low the camera was. And there's a bit of a competition going. So there's a, a YouTube channel that picks a YouTuber of the month, and it's basically there's some restrictions on what they can do. It's it's all you know retro computer gaming related type thing, um, but it has to be a channel that has less than a thousand subscribers. So this is a, a little competition where you get votes in. And they pick like five that you get to pick from. And basically it's to help promote small startup YouTube channels and give them some exposure that they wouldn't normally get to see if they get their numbers up. And it actually it helps all five of them, to be honest, whoever, you know, wins gets, you know, picked, you know, YouTuber of the month type thing. But the other ones get exposure they wouldn't have gotten normally anyway. So this is a little a video that uh, Tim and AJ put together about uh, the sibling rivalry page. And I'll play that in its entirety uh, as per Tim's request. And then I'll show you the actual channel that you have to go to do the voting in the comments, uh, whichever one you want, uh, that you think out of the five should be the one picked. I picked something obviously because Tim and I have known each other for 20 some odd years. And then AJ and I jammed together at Chicago Coker Fest. So 
They're definitely my favorites out of the list. Though they had some pretty decent channels, including another Canadian channel, which is kind of cool. So I will play this, and uh, then I will show you a little bit from the uh, place to go to vote. Hey, Tim, did you hear that we've been nominated for uh, YouTuber of the Month? No, really? You don't say. I do say. Mike at Mike's Gaming Gala uh, nominated us. He was the uh, winner last month in June, and uh, he gets to pick five of his favorite YouTubers to nominate. And guess what? He nominated us. Well, I'm not surprised. We are pretty cool. Uh, well, I'm the cool one. <laughs> You're the nerd. Obviously, the channel was nominated because of me. The ladies love my hair. Ah, <laughs> uh, whatever. <laughs> but uh, back to reality, we're up against some really stiff competition. Stiff? Like who? <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> Sorry, I can always help. Well, the four other competitors that are we're going against are uh, Brain Slush TV, Couple of Nerds, Go Game Go, and Dad is a Joke. They're fantastic. I love all of them. I, I don't know how we're even going to compete against them. Oh, man, those are some fantastic content creators. But do any of them have hair like this? <laughs> Nobody has hair like you. Thank you. Not really a compliment. <laughs> but do you think we have a chance? Uh, well, of course we have a chance because we have the best subscribers on YouTube. Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. Ham selected. Um, <laughs> friends, family, and fans of the channel, we would really appreciate if you click the link on the card uh, to the latest episode on the YouTube channel, uh, Real Bit Wars, and leave your vote by commenting in the, in the comment section, I vote for sibling rivalry, and uh, that would really help us out, and we would really appreciate it, and we really appreciate you guys, and we need all the help we can get. Vote for long hair. I mean, <laughs> vote for sibling rivalry. Make it sibling rivalry. Cool, vote for that toehead boy. <laughs> <laughs> that was a pretty funny video, so I wanted to play the majority of it there. But the uh, channel they're referring to here, the Real Bit Wars here, um, and there's a 14 minute video. Obviously, not can play all this. And they go through like they've actually been awarding this for quite a while, um, starting in 2009. So this has been actually ongoing for over a decade, where they pick you know the best of the year. In this case, they're doing the best of the winners per month, and they've got the winners for 2023 here already too. So it's a good way to promote gaming channels on YouTube. And like I said, the requirements are um, the main one here is only channels with fewer than 1,000 subscribers can be nominated. So, Ken, I think you're already past that, aren't you? Yes, I am. So, you, so you're, can't be you're overqualified already for this. Story of and my only... life. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, Taylor and Amy, same thing. I mean, they're way beyond how I could qualify because I've got maybe, you know, five. But I don't do games, so I wouldn't qualify them there. But... Uh, yeah, I was going anyway. to say, my, all my channels are definitely under a thousand. <laughs> so anyway, you go, you go to this particular channel here, The Real Bit Wars, and uh, you can do a comment. 
you know, doing the vote. I did my vote for them already myself personally. But like I said, the other channels are good too. So, I mean, if you're into the gaming aspect of the Coco or gaming in general for any retro platforms, uh, it's worth checking out any of their channels or that they got nominated this this month, to be honest, or even go through the previous winners. Because there's some of the previous winners, obviously you had to have less than a thousand subscribers. Some of those uh, winners from previous years have gotten so much exposure, they've got like 45,000, 60,000 subscribers now. So it can be a real boon to a channel. So anyway, uh Tim, Tim mentioned that this uh, little competition is going on. I think the deadline was the 16th. Uh, voting ends uh, 11.59 Central Time on the final day of the month. So you got the rest of July. So don't forget to go check it out and, and do some voting there. And that's it for my part of the gaming news. And I know you guys want to see that silly intro to the regular news. So I'll let you do that while I get those stuff queued up. When you want the latest in TRS-80... Handy, Dragon, MC10, and all of their hardware cousins. No matter what it takes. For where news breaks. From around the world. To your nation. The Coco Nation News. With L. Curtis Boyle. Burn. <laughs> Burn Neutroid. That's um, disturbing as <laughs> Okay, so before I get into the actual uh, displayable uh, entries here in the news, I'm going to cover a couple things. There's a few things we covered earlier, but maybe some people actually skip ahead to the news. I really doubt that ever happens, but just in case. Um, I will mention a few things. So we had uh, Don Barber in earlier um, for his USB project. He just released a video for that. So go check that out. It's in the show notes if you need a link to it. Or just you know watch. We showed some of it in the background while Don was talking about it. Um, Frank of Retro Rewind is uh, back and, and recovering from his uh, second surgery and a little bit of a holiday to give his, his uh, wrist and hand a break. And uh, the Coco SDC is now back in stock. And hopefully he'll be able to keep up with the orders because I know he was selling out as soon as he could get them done because he was going quite a bit slower having pins in his arms so, or pins in his hand and wrist. So did he use that helmet that... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, knew, I haven't asked Frank about that. Yeah. Frank, if you're still in the chat, let us know if that helmet suggestion from Rick Euland actually helped. That was an awesome bit of kit, to to quote the UK people. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is that we've actually booked another interview. So the two interviews that are already outstanding that are coming up is August 12th with Matt Harper, the developer of Wizard's Den, sold by Tom Mix. August 19th, we have Glenn Dahlgren of Sundog Systems coming in to be a guest co-host interviewer. And the interview E will be Doug Maston, who is the person behind getting the Contras done. And, uh, you know, that one ended up getting finished by somebody else because Doug got a bit overwhelmed just being a high schooler when he was writing it. That was a hell of a project to take on for a high schooler. So that will be on August the 19th. And now we've also confirmed that Mark and Charlie P, that if you guys were at Coco Fest and saw the Porta Coco boat booth, which has the... Uh, Various cocos and displays and stuff that are all running wirelessly on uh, batteries, so that you can like haul them around type thing. Um, they're going to be on to talk about the uh, the wireless and uh, battery powered cocos that do not require you to make modifications to your case on on, and they they just clip on and no damage to your case. You're not modifying the cocoa at all. So they'll be our guest on a September the 9th. So mark that one on your calendars. There's multiple other ones I'm trying to get 
squared away here, maybe in July, August, September, October, somewhere in that time frame. I will keep you guys up to date as soon as I find out. Um, also, Rick, we got an answer from uh, Frank there. He said he modded it to hold two beer cans instead, and it worked great. <laughs> just a little more duct tape you're good to go yep so like red greening the project there that's what that was i think you guys got in the states at least the northern states i don't got to see the red green shot i don't know if the southern states did that was a you got it down in texas oh well there you go down in texas heck yeah <laughs> if the women can't find you handsome at least they can find you handy that's hey, all handy. <laughs> yeah. Or they can't find you has, but they can find you with Tandy. Maybe that's what that should be. I don't know. Anyway, back to the regular news here. So the first one here is Tier City Retro Programming. I did a uh, little bit of an, a walkthrough of the attic part of his Tales of Suburbia with no commentary. I'll just play a little bit of a clip here. So he's got it. So if you climb up the ladder, I'll just mute the sound a bit because it's got really loud beeping. But you actually turn on the light and it lights up what's in the attic and then you walk up to objects and you click and you get the little text on the screen telling you what exactly it was. So you just want to kind of go through because he's added a few things and he's actually keeping a few things a bit close to his chest because he doesn't want you to know everything before the game actually comes out. Um, I will mention his last uh, couple of videos he's released this week have been nothing to do with the Coco at all. He's actually been doing some um, gameplay videos from Nintendo uh, from his child, some of his favorite games. So I think he's taking a bit of a break from the programming side of things just for a bit and not, you know, everybody hits that burnout phase where they have to take a little bit of a break or you can get it forced on you when your Coco STC dies, uh, right, Nick? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that, that brings the rage. <laughs> and Buck Owens has obviously seen the Red Green Show because he did another quote from the show. I'm a man, but I can change if I have to, I guess, which is part of the big meanings at the end of the show. <laughs> that was a classic. Um, then he did this other one here uh, before he started doing some of the Nintendo gameplay uh, videos is taking one of the example programs from the Coco Manual. Now, this is from the Coco 2 version of the manual, which, as we talked about earlier, is not the best version. It's pretty darn good uh, basic manual, but the original Coco 1 ones were the, by far the best. But this was one that was supposed to do a lightning storm, and it does it by drawing some lines on the screen, then flipping P mode, um, which P mode you're in, but displaying the same data. So he has a P mode 4 screen and a P mode 1 screen to try to simulate the flashing. So it, it's not I would say the best, but I can see what they were trying to do here, as as uh, he also mentions on his own. Anyways, so that is that is what we get here. We get this, and um, you know there should be some sound in there somewhere. So I, I, I do. Any of you guys remember going through the uh, the example programs and trying some of these things back in the day when you first got your Coco or your Coco Two or Coco Three? Yep. through the whole book. Yep. That was pretty yep. awesome because I had come from like a ZX81, which was a text computer. And now I have lines and P-sets and P-modes and oh my gosh. Yeah, the extended basic upgrade when you move from basically set reset graphics to yep. lots of commands. Oh yeah, everything got typed in. Yep. And of course, you drag everyone in to look to come see I, this what the Check it out. Here we go. Look, I drew a picture of a house. 
And I colored it in too. Yeah. Yeah, I remember doing that too. And uh, the advancement from going from the set reset basic, like you said, the original color basic. I mean, if you were lucky, you kind of figured how character string things work. So you could print a lot of faster like that. The original Coco one color basic one, the big wide thing, had that one jumping, dancing, yep. clowny thing. I can't remember what that was, but uh, yeah. And the blackjack game, which I still think was pretty, pretty decent. I actually put a pretty fun little game there and barely fit in 4K. 60 says, I went through the Dragon Manual as bad as that was. I haven't actually looked at it too closely. Was it that much different than the uh, Coco ones? I don't know. Ooh, that sounds like a side-by-side video coming up. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) Uh, Next up, our guest from recent on our show, uh, Coco Town, has released multiple videos here, and now he's been exploring the VDG display modes. So this first one here, he calls a garbage tour of the VDG display modes, assembly language adventures. Um, so he actually has the uh, source code for the assembly language program he uses in this particular video. You can go get it uh, from his uh, blog. You can There's a listing right there to kind of go through it. He has it basically set up so you can hit a key to switch between display modes, and he actually calls uh, basics random uh, function to you know poke random bytes in. So I'll skip a little bit ahead. He kind of goes through and explains what some of the modes are here. Uh, using the SAM control bits in the VDG. Um, let's see, we'll find a little bit of the demo itself. Goes through the code. Ah, here we go. This is a pretty uh, bit of a demo. That advances me to the next mode. I hit it. Again. Screens, uh, color Third sets mode too. looks a lot like the first mode. We'll need to talk about that. And then continuing on. Five, That's SG6. Six. So some of these you'll recognize that BASIC lets you do. Some of these you'll be like, ooh, I don't remember being able to do that in BASIC. That's a lot of colors with some small dots. Um, And now we're in the, quote, high-res graphic screens, uh, but the low-res ends, hitting the space bar, hitting the space bar. I'll just keep on going uh, until we get to the highest mode which is this, I believe, and then we cycle around. So the other feature... So anyway, I remember experimenting with this kind of stuff too, and there's quite a few modes that are actually available on the SAM VDG combo that are not supported by BASIC at all, like all the higher semi-graphic stuff. There's even some lower of the four color screens. Uh, Like I remember the color BASIC manual speaking of it again, if you had the second version, the thicker version that had the missing chapters, one of the example programs they did that would run in 4K was the 64 by 64 four color mode demo where you could set up the VDG and the SAM for that and actually poke little things. I remember I programmed a little defender spaceship that I could move up and down because it looked so high res compared to set reset. Uh, but I didn't really know what I was doing past that. So it just ran really slow and did nothing. But uh, yeah, if you want to explore some of the modes and uh, how to access them as semi language, he's got the video and he's got the accompanying source code you can go check out. Now, while he was doing that, he discovered a few uh, things that he had to kind of figure out so he's got some other things here too so this one here i figure some of your hardware types can probably explain better than i can because if you go through the vdg chip specs from motorola themselves here alphanumeric and semi-graphics 4 are two different modes of the chip now as far as you know programming it goes it's the exact same darn thing because that's you know anything with a high bit set it gets you your uh you know nine color including black semi-graphics two by two graphic elements and then anything below that is your text and inverse text etc uh but the actual manual for the vdg itself mentioned these are two completely separate modes and i think 
from looking at what he did here, going through the schematic, you can kind of see in the background here on the on the, the page to explain the video before you start playing, is that it's actually hardwired uh, on the Coco so that basically those two modes run simultaneously. Is that my correct understanding? That's right. It comes up in semi-graphics 4 mode by default because of the wiring. Okay. Recording in progress. What the heck is that? That was Ooh. my cat sitting on standing walking across the keyboard. <laughs> we won't ask which part of your cat. Uh, so do I have to click leave meeting here or do you do recording it? Recording stopped. No. Uh, we should be back to normal now. Well, Still leave meeting or got it or what? Got it probably, right? Yeah. Uh, sure. Clear that, <laughs> clear that dialogue, please. Yeah. <sighs> Cat. The, the cat wanted incriminating evidence on our show. Well, right. this is a good time as any to say it. Uh, a lot of these uh, screen full of junk I get when I try to run a um, Coco 3 program on a Coco 2. <laughs> oh, yeah, because you're trying to access hardware that doesn't exist, and who knows yeah, what's going to happen. Flips, mm-hmm. it, it, it gives sprinkles. It, it, it get all kinds of pretty-looking screens. Right. Yeah, Sixty is mentioning the chatter. He says, "Yeah, D seven uh, is uh, data bit seven, the highest bit is connected to the alpha numeric and semi graphic select line on the VDG." Oh, okay. So that's why we get the letters here and blocks there. Yeah, we kind of get both combined because I think those original modes are only seven bit, basically. Uh, Correct. Okay. If I understand. Unless you're doing external, um, the external display ROM. Then you can right. wire it up differently there. Uh, like the NEC uses that for uh, Japanese character set, the kanji symbols. Yeah, and that's also what the lower kit from Dennis Bathory Kits we mentioned earlier, who did the Undercolor yeah. magazine. That's how he did the lower kit was an external ROM. But they weren't wiring up the external line um, on the Coco, so they went ahead and just said, well, we'll go ahead and put it in Simographics 4, and the high bit can be used for your graphics blocks. Okay, sense. It works. that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do know, like when you go to the SG six mode, which is sixty four by forty eight, so your characters become a two by three grid, like the Tier City Model One three, except with color. Um, those try to do the external ROM mapping automatically. That's when you get those weird vertical stripes because there's basically garbage on the bus from the nothing to map non existent <laughs> external ROM. And uh, Jim Gary's used that uh, on even some of his MC ten games because that has the same thing basically, and he's that for you know getting sort of high-res looking vertical lines that you can draw on the semi-graphic screen because there's certain patterns you can kind of fiddle with. Waste not, want not. Yep. Yeah, pretty much. So he goes through that and he goes through the schematics of how the different pins are wired together to figure out exactly what's going on. And then he did this little uh, bonus video, um, which is hunting down a bug. Can someone click? Got it. I think uh, I think uh, our illustrious leader needs to click "Got it" on his pop up so we can see your screen. I think you each need to click it. It's not being shared. I'm not seeing that on my screen anymore. So, oh, everyone has to click "Got it." Okay, never mind. Ah, do we? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ah, right. Yeah. Sorry about that. His cat controls us all. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. His cat controls the horizontal. It controls the vertical. Yeah. She decided to walk across my keyboard. <laughs> so none of that's on the stream now, right? Like when I clicked, no, no, it was all just us individually. Okay. So anyway, he did a bonus video here, which is tracking down a bug. 
And this this was fun. And I know David Ladd figured it out fairly early on. I figured it out before it hit the end of the video. (laughs) (laughs) Now you started him. So if you remember on the the previous video I showed where he's going through all the different graphics modes and he's drawing the randomized, you know, pockets of pixels over top here. Well, he started running it and it would just freeze. And it wasn't always consistent on where it froze. And um, he was trying to figure it out going through the debugger. And he was having problems with MAME's rewind feature because it wouldn't rewind, you know, for quite a while. So I'm going to play the video here. It's definitely an interesting journey he takes to figure it out. Um. But I'll, I'll spoil the ending here, but you can definitely go through this to help you for debugging your own stuff if you hit this kind of thing. The program he created to do these uh, drawing of graphics, which he based on stuff that was done in the uh, Lawrence Teppold Cocoa Assembly Language books, which I highly recommend. That's actually, I think, where I really got started in doing assembly language, more so than the Barden book, to be honest. I found Teppold's just a little bit easier for me to personally understand. Yeah. Um, but basically what had happened is that uh, Teppelt's original Cocoa 1 and 2 assembly language book was designed for a cassette-based system. There is a chapter on doing disk stuff later where he mentions, you know, the graphic screens move. They start at 600 normally, and then they bump up to E00. Um, so Cocoa Town didn't actually do that. He started it at the cassette bait, but he's on a, a disk-based system. So when you start rifling through all the disk-basic variables and buffers and stuff there, I mean, it causes all kinds of fun things. There's like a timer interrupt that actually keeps track of the timer for disk uh, motor timeouts and stuff. In fact, if you run a, a, a semi-language game on the Coco, a graphics game that was designed for cassette, but you run a disk, you'll see a little byte up in the upper left quadrant of the screen that you can see zipping through all the bit patterns, and that's actually the counter running. And then if you take like a, a player sprite or something like that and run it over top of that, you can cause the machine to crash there too, because you're actually mucking around with disk basics on you know IRQ service routine basically. And uh, that's basically what he was hitting here. So after you know multiple attempts of going through the main debugger and trying to figure out, like I said, it doesn't always consistently happen in the same spot. Of, of when he was drawing on the screen, et cetera, here, because it depends on when the RQ fires. I'm so but, happy uh, that someone else runs into this kind of stuff and has to go through figuring it out. And it's not just me. Oh, I, I still do that to this day myself. Oh, well, when I first saw this video and it was going through and he was going through the modes, since I knew he was starting off with the text mode and he wasn't shifting the address, once he went to the higher resolution, I'm like, it's freezing up. And I'm like, Oh, he's going into the disk basic variable area. <laughs> yep, and there's where it froze. Although going into that mode would be nifty when you do disk IO so you could yeah, see. Yeah, you the watch sectors. the buffers go by. <laughs> yes, you can watch all the variables and the disk data show up on the screen. That's always nifty to watch. And that's like David Ladd nerd heaven right there, I think. Maybe watch the buffers. Oh, yes. That screen with the at signs (laughs) reminds me of the, what the hell is the Bipinger from? From a boat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he boots it up with no ROMs, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, it's a really good thing about having to actually, you know, going through the process of debugging, trying to figure out what's going on. So he kind of covers, you know, the mistakes made. And the guesswork you're trying to get it because this was actually a hard one to track down because Mame gets locked into basically running this one routine of one byte and it doesn't you can hit F11 to advance and it doesn't move because the IRQ routine got stuck. So uh, yeah, it's a harder one to debug. And the fact that the uh, Mame rewind button did not work 
most of the time doing this. It was actually a bit of a surprise to me. I thought at least you'd be able to, you know, just jump back, but there's some, you know, hoops you got to jump through there as well. So definitely a good educational video on debugging. And I'll, I'll let Ken narrate a little bit here. I'll just play a little bit of the video. If Ken, if you got a specific spot in here you want me to highlight, uh, let me know. Yeah, well, I may really as well jump forward to uh, the footage from BoatFest. Oh, you don't want to do a whole trip of crossing the border and all that stuff? No, 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 no. I don't want to. Getting almost hit by a wrench. Uh, 20, 21 hour, 24 hour drive and. So, yeah, that's just a look at the uh, main street of uh, Hurricane. There's the attendees. One of the days, yep. One of the days, yep. That's the official portrait, I think. Yeah, with boat photoshopped in right beside you, because he was the one taking the picture. (laughs) Yep. Oh, that's why he's so bright. And there's the mayor when he showed up. Yep, so that's the mayor right here, uh, former Atari 8-bit guy. And, uh, yeah, just, I don't know. Uh, we kind of talked about this last week. I just do a little bit of footage of uh, a bunch of the stuff that's around there. We had a bunch of SX-64s there, which first time I've ever seen one of those in actual real life. Spectrum next. It wasn't until the second, it wasn't until the second day that we actually had a cocoa set up, so. I didn't get any footage of that because by then I was way too in depth into playing the games. So, and cool. there's asteroids on the 102. So, actually, a very good version of asteroids. Yeah. So, I don't know what else is there to say, but it was a lot of fun. And uh, David Ladd, you should be there next year. Yeah, I wish. But as most of you know, my situation doesn't exactly allow for it easily. I think what we should do is arrange Flack to get this camper van again, and we'll let you sleep yep. in it. What do you think, David? Would that help? No, it's the time. Mm. Time being away from home. Yeah, and there's yeah, the auction. There's the auction uh, table of what I spent a little bit too much money on. <laughs> yeah, you kind of covered it. You had a certain budget and you over doubled it by the time the show was over. Yeah, pretty much. Over doubled. <laughs> that, but hey, that I didn't big, need to eat on the way home. Is that big box in front of the Coco? Is that a Pong game? Is it? Yep. That's, no, that's a, an Odyssey. That's an Odyssey 500. It's a version of oh, Pong. Oh, is it? Ooh. Wow. It's big. I'll give you a hint. I'm going to be doing a video on it soon because uh, I bought it. That's another one in the <laughs> <laughs> sneak preview. And here's the arcade you went to that I didn't get to go to. So this was kind yep, of cool. So this that. is actually kind of cool because all the arcade games in here are set to free play. So you just go in and you play games and they make their money off of selling you booze. So and ironically, the, the the pinball machines they did charge though, didn't they? You they did pay charge the... for the pinball machines, but most of them are right. v- much more modern. Right. There's like Game of Thrones pinball, and well, and pinball's a high maintenance beauty. You've got yeah. to get some money out of those to, to even run. have little drink stands beside the pinball machines here, so they can you know keep <laughs> soaking you up for the booze too. Yep. 
By the way, uh, Frank uh, Ken Ken says uh, Frank says that uh, you and I both are talking about overspending, and he says <laughs> I won't even tell you what I spent. I have a guess at what he spent, and yeah, he definitely outspent me. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the the funnest part of this video for me is that only the middle chunk is actually about Boat Fest itself. You have the whole tale of getting there and getting back and stuff, and that 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 yep. that's what kind of made it. And I think uh, Boat mentioned himself here that he was definitely going to watch your video after you announced it on their Discord. So mm-hmm. I'll have to right. see what the, his reaction is to that. So do you think it was a worthwhile trip for you, Ken? Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. Think you'll do it again next year? I'm hoping to, yep. You're still eating graham crackers? <laughs> <laughs> graham crackers? Yeah, yeah what are you, talking you don't about? have enough money left over. Oh, oh no, that... I was just drinking bottles of water on the way home. <laughs> and coffee. Lots and lots yeah. of coffee. That kept me my, going. My one this. conflict is if they have VCF South, which is the one that was in Fort Worth on the same weekend, if they have it the same weekend, I might have to do that one instead. Um, yeah. Because there's a lot of Tandy people there that I would love to meet, like Mark and a bunch of others there that uh, you know I'll probably never either get a chance to meet otherwise. So well, hopefully they have it on a different there. weekend. Talk to Boat because they haven't announced a uh, weekend for this for next year yet. So. And I don't think they've announced the next mm-hmm. VCF South. And that was a bit of a surprise. Like the VCF South only got announced like two months before it happened. And it was like a you know way too late for anybody to make any real changes. So, yeah. Hopefully they just keep it on different weekends because I'd, I'd love to do both if I can afford it. Anyway, definitely check it out. A lot of good humor in there. I didn't realize your... Uh, your cabin was in such rural that you don't even actually really have a road. Like it looks like you're just randomly driving through the bush here to get to your no, cabin. No, that's my driveway. That's, that's a road. That's my driveway. <laughs> it's perfectly fine. There is actually a road that I just turned off of to go down that driveway. The driveway looks a little overgrown. You may want to mow it or something. Yeah, it just hasn't <laughs> been there in a while. So, well, no, I've I mean, been there. I just you need well, a fiber. You, well, you know, Curtis, that is one way to hide. That there's actually a house back there because if if you don't know it's a driveway, then no one knows that the, that they have to go back there to say, "Hey, is there something back there I can look into?" There's yeah. other cabins along there, so yeah, you, you, it's you, not you that well hidden. It's just that mine's a little more rustic than any of the other places. Ah, that's the word I was looking for: rustic. Right. Well, by the way, we've got a, an official rumor here from the chat. So Frank is saying VCF North next year. You didn't hear that from me. Hmm. So there, that might be one. Like, uh, if if they have it in the Toronto area where where Frank is, how far are you from Toronto, Ken, at the cabin? Just about as far as I've, away as I am from uh, West Virginia. Oh, really? <laughs> okay, never mind then. Well, it's it's actually not that far directly, but there's like mm-hmm. three great lakes in the way, so I have to go around all of them. Well, you can do <laughs> what we real, did. Baby. You you can do what Frank and, and Jason I did. You can just hydroplane. Honestly, if I was if it, <laughs> if there's something in uh, Toronto and I'm here, I would just fly because it's like two hours by plane or 20, one, 20, 21 hours by car. Yeah, because you got to so go around Lake Superior and yeah. yeah right, yeah. over, yeah. Yeah, I guess it depends what time of the year. So I don't know if there's any rumoring about the time of the year there, Frank. But if you, you know, maybe whisper it in the chat. Right. If you accidentally hear anything, let us know. <laughs> hey, good video. Good. Go check it out. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of cool stuff in there that has nothing to do with the 
Boatfest itself, but the actual trip. And there was it's just my many of, tales. I have to keep myself uh, occupied while I'm driving 21 hours to one of these things. So by myself. <laughs> so I record stuff. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of VCF here, this is the uh, page for VCF West, which is at the Computer History Museum, I think it is, near San Francisco. And one of the speakers at it uh, is going to be Michael Furman. And you'll see at the very bottom, like this is a whole list of some of the speakers that are going on, what their subjects are covering and exhibits themselves too. And this is uh, Flex. They have even watching the vlogs that we've been talking about here on the show the last couple months of the resurrection of Flex, uh, Frank Hogg's version of Flex uh, for the Coco. But Michael's been doing here. He's going to have a display kind of showing it. And he's going to be talking about it. And uh, anything else he discovers by the time the show actually happens. So anybody in the San Francisco area that can make it down there, that'd be awesome to check that out and actually visit with him in person and ask any questions you have. Spoiler uh, alert, his latest vlog video just went up. I have that in the news. We'll be covering that right away. In fact, he requested I play the whole thing. So, Oh, okay. So, all right, good. Spoiler <laughs> alert. He, he's it's only three and a half minutes. So The embargo will be over. Nice. Um. Uh, by the way, Frank says uh, <coughs> August <coughs> in the chat there. So, so that I think means you're still in Ontario, then, right, Frank? Or uh, Frank? <laughs> Ken? <laughs> oh, Mikey's correcting me. He says I have an exhibit, not giving a talk. I'm sure he'll be talking at his exhibit. So, I'm kind of half right. And speaking of the video that uh, Alan's referring to here, I'll just play this in its entirety. He also mentions that all the music here is actually legally free to play, so I shouldn't have to worry about copyright strikes. I kind of like the music. I need to ask Mikey where he got this so I can use it on my... <laughs> some YouTube free music, I think, is what he's saying. Right, he, he runs some jamming stuff, though. Updates for the channel. I think three different topics are what we're going to cover. So here's the first one. I want to thank you, each and every one of you that's watching, all of my subscribers. Last month, my channel actually got past 100 subscribers. So I wanted to thank each and every one of you for subscribing, watching my videos. Hopefully you enjoy the content. As of today, we have 113 subscribers. So I hope that this trend continues. I will try making content for all of you guys that you find interesting. So yeah, thank you. Now for the next topic, which is Vintage Computer Festival West 2023. I will have an exhibit at VCF West, and I'm going to be demonstrating live my Flexing the Color Computer project. So I'll have a couple of demos for that. Hopefully, if you are able to, or if you are local, you can come out to VCF West and see me. It will be August 4th and 5th at the Computer History Museum. And here's the list of exhibits. And all the way down at the bottom is mine, Flexing the Color Computer. 
restoration of FHL color flex. So hopefully you can come out to VCF West and see me and maybe even a little bit of heckling would be in order. And now for the last item for today's video. Here's what the heckling is for. So I don't have a vlog update for this week, but I will for next week. And here's the subject. I was duped or tricked. The disc that I have in my hand that I was showing off on the Coco Nation a few weeks ago, turns out it's actually a master. And I was just confused. I was tricked by all the copying and repairing and copying that's gone on over the years. So it turns out that this disc I'm holding is actually a master. So I'm going to have a video going over how their trickery duped me. This will be coming next week. Alright, that's it for the channel updates. Hope to see you in the next one. Bye everyone. So anyway, yeah, there's um, the fact that uh, the FHL disc that he had and has shown off on the show was actually is a master. Um, but there's a little bit of trickery on uh, how they put some stuff on the disc there so it wasn't obvious. So he didn't find out from uh, Frank. No, Frank Frank couldn't remember. And to be honest, Frank was more the, the salesman and the, and the you right. know, finances guy type thing. It was, uh, I can't remember, his brother, Richard Hogg? Or his nephew or something? I can't remember. Uh, but he was the guy who did most of the programming stuff that probably would have known. But I know he's been trying to get a hold of him and hasn't been able to, at least last I heard. But he's figured it out. So cool. Yeah, he's figured it out. And he's going to be making a video explaining what went on and why it looks like it wasn't a master. So it caused copy protection and they were really good at it. That's why. Well, <laughs> so if he got it so he can make more masters. Uh, that's what I'm hoping he announces. So yes, yes, that would be very nice. He, yeah. the last that I talked to him about it, he was talking about he had figured out what put loader was or put boot dot loader or whatever it was was doing, and what it wasn't doing, okay. and why it wasn't doing it. So I'm hoping that yeah, he's got an idea on how to restore it to be uh, that. But he got distracted with another project that I can't wait to see him do an update on as well. So. <laughs> yeah, my my understanding of this is that basically there's there's a certain chunk of code that's not showing up as part of a file in the directory structure. It's actually just hidden code. It's like the DOS command where it just you know reads a track and, and not exactly, but it's similar. Where it's yeah, where it's basically reading in the sectors raw and then executing the code, and that's not part of the file system, which is why you couldn't see that that stuff was actually there. And of course, it also has that, you know, the first track is single density so that a single density system could read that to go, oh, this disk is going to be double density for the rest of the disk. So you can't do that on this particular machine because you need a double density disk controller. And so, then past you get all that, you get gibberish because there's a chunk that is missing from the code you're looking at. So that it's cool. sitting there. It's just nothing references it. Right. It's, it's just invisible. Yeah. You know where to look. And I think he's figured out where to magically know where to look. So... Nice. Yeah, I'm waiting on that video a lot. That's very exciting. Yeah, and of course, if you go visit his booth at VCF uh, West, you'll be able to, you know, kind of see this stuff in action and ask him any further questions about it. So, and who else know? Who else or knows what else he'll discover? You know, in the ensuing month before the actual show.
He's mm-hmm. a master of the master. Yes. <laughs> so thanks, thanks for that uh, vlog channel update there, Mikey. And I'm glad you finally figured it out that we do have a master. Um, hopefully, I think you also found a copy of the spectral one. Uh, so there's an alternate version of Flex there too, and then Steve Odney I think had one, and then I'd found an ad I'd sent to Mikey uh, of a another version of Flex that Frank Hogg advertised about '84, so quite a bit later than the original one called XEX, which is apparently a, a more advanced version. But uh, I have never seen a disc image for that, so I don't even know if it existed. Maybe that was an ad done, you know, before the product was ready and it never got ready, or maybe it was only sold for a little bit because that was right when OS nine had officially been released too. So. Kind of interesting to see where that goes. Next up, we have uh, Thomas Cherry Holmes, who we had on the show a long, long time ago, several years ago. Um, And of course, he's the person doing the Fujinet project. And uh, there's been talk about doing a Cocoa version of it. And, uh, you know, he was asking if some of us want to do it. And I've been too busy with Nitro 9 stuff and everything else I've been doing. So I obviously was not volunteering. I have too much on my plate as it is. Um, But he mentioned this post here in the Coco group on Facebook. Look at what magically showed up on my workbench, a Tandy Coco. That's a Coco 2 melted keyboard. I uh, wonder what this will mean for the Fujinet project. So obviously he's going to be actually tackling it himself to get it going. Um, now, Fujinet, uh, I'll let Rick, um, you know, you and Henry Strickland probably know more about Fujinet versus the stuff you guys are doing with network cards. So what would you say is the biggest difference between the way you approach that you guys are taking for networking versus what uh, Thomas Cherry Holmes is doing with Fujinet? Well, Fujinet, as far as I understand, this is delivering network serially. And we're just doing network over Ethernet. So I don't know. It's really hard to to compare the two. Um, They're two different projects, basically. Okay, because I know Fujinet like lets you like pull files over the web, like to a variety of eight bit machines. You can actually hit an FTP right. server or something like that and grab a file so, and then so, run it right on the machine. So, so I guess the difference is, um, rather than trying to emulate Ethernet network things over a serial network like Fujinet, we're just doing the straight like WGET, plain old Ethernet. Give me the file. And uh, while the WizNet does the, the basic conversions of, okay, we can do a WGET and get the file. We can do HTTP and do text. We can't do any sophisticated uh, network things. So we still can't, I mean, we can't do encryption. So we still can't stand alone, even though we're running Ethernet straight out of your cable router into the world. We really can't stand alone. We can't connect to any websites that weren't specifically written unencrypted for the Kogo. So, you know, the giant advantage I thought we were going to have, we don't really have. We still got to talk to somebody else, just like Fujinet, to do our basic interface to the encrypted world of the real network. So uh, there's not as much difference as you would think at first. I mean... Yeah, because Mikey's mentioning in uh, the chat here, he says Vujinet could be more like DriveWire. And Pi DriveWire does have some web features. You can open a disk with an HTTP URL, but not a zip file yet. Well, right. And you're doing everything through sort of an emulation layer, if you will. So we're, we've got a serial port on the Coco. We're going to end up at a network connection. And in the middle, we've got Fujinet. And I'm, you know, we're kind of trying to do just, okay, here's a network connection. What can we do with it? which is a completely different 
you know, it's kind of doing the same thing two different ways. So they don't really connect very much. It's it's like like now Mikey says, you know, you can pull things over drive wire. It has nothing to do with. Uh, but here's the important part: <clears throat> Who wants a Fuji Net to go with your Coco SDC and your Coco IO? Because you know right. what, we could use them all. <laughs> the multi pack got a lot of slots. I mean, I know David Ladd says there's not enough, but oh, you point. are so darn right that there's not <laughs> enough slots. <laughs> You know, it was so bad back in the day. I was using Y cables on the MPI just so I could right? put the the RS-232 pack and the modem pack in slot one. Right. One right clip. Hey, David, I'm surprised you didn't get one of the original third-party expansion boxes like the BT-1000 or the Solution from Frank Hogg, which had five or six slots right out the gate before the Tandy one even showed up. Well, the thing is, <laughs> is that... When you're like in your early teens at that point, you don't really have money. Besides, <laughs> he'd already built all them Y cables. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he'd learn a solder oh, Y I, cables. And stuff. I didn't do the Y cables till later because luckily I got my cocoa set up pretty well right off the start. Christmas, MPI, RS232 pack, the Coco 2. My birthday, floppy drive. So yeah, I was sweet rocking yeah. the MPI right off the bat. So back to the original FujiNet versus the Coco IO question. Um, am I correct in, in assuming or, or saying this that basically the FujiNet has a bit more of a polish to do specific things fairly easily, but yours is able to do more because it's more raw and you can actually access different things. Well, that the Fujinet probably does not have built in, like maybe connecting to Cocos directly I with a network protocol or something. The Fujinet is looking at the results, and we're kind of looking at the process. So, can we run Ethernet on a Coco somehow and do useful things? Where the Fujinet is saying, can we cram this stuff into a Coco? Forget how. It, it's kind of a difference in purpose, not a basically, I think. So, uh, I mean, I guess, I guess that's it. I mean, Cocoa, we're trying to do the, okay, we can do a NTP date straight to, uh, you know, over the network, and that's not encrypted, and I can get the time back and set my clock from the Ethernet, and there doesn't need to be any intermediary or any kind of server to translate it over. We just go do that. And uh, simple HTTP, you know, simple web pages, we can just go do that. We don't need an intermediary. So there is no Fuji net. There is no Coco net. It's just a stupid network card, and you do what you want to do with it. So it's a different purpose. And if we can do everything that they can do over the Ethernet, I would be a very happy man. <laughs> so that's where we're going. Um, so we have, you know, things like uh, setting up an Ethernet address. So just you, it's between you and your cable route. There's nothing else to talk to is the idea behind Coco.io. So if you got a cable router, you can plug a wire into it, plug a wire into your Coco, you're done. So the Coco.io is basically more low-level stuff, and Fujinet probably has a bit more of a well, upper it's, level it's, where they've got protocols already built in, et cetera. Right. They're, they're, they're depending on some service to do better than the Coco could do on the network by itself, which is a 
perfectly valid thing to do. The Cocos kind of limited. <laughs> we don't have any SSL at all of any kind. RSA, DSA, forget all of that. But, uh, you know, like I say, it's a different purpose. If you just want to get stuff, you don't care how, FujiNet's probably a great option. And if you want to play with Ethernet on a Coco, then Coco.io is the option. Okay. I just wanted to uh, get that clarified so the people that are kind of wondering, you know, what, what the difference between the two projects are since both network cards. And um, Jim Brains is more along the line of yours, oh, he, I think. He's even lower. He, he's going with how do you run an internet card from the Coco? Forget the Ethernet itself. How do you run the Ethernet chip? And he's got a lot of work. Oh, my gosh. They've, they've done so many things and they've accomplished so much. But, oh, man. <laughs> Makes me sweat just to think about it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's good to hear that, uh, that that project after being talked about on the Coco several years back is actually a, a go-ahead. And thanks. I don't remember who was the person that donated the Coco to, to, to Thomas to, to start his port of Fujinet to the Coco. But... Uh, a big thank you to whoever that was. Next up, uh, Richard Kelly has uh, released version 0.30G of his Maze Creator program, and he says in his comments about it that he hopes it's the last beta. Uh, so he's been gradually speeding it up and improving the user interface for it and making it a little bit easier, a bit more user-friendly. And the, the speed gains are much smaller now than the one of the previous versions where he had a huge jump in speed and he's got some screenshots of it actually running here uh, for Coco 2. There's Coco 3 stuff as well. He must be using an old version of MAME where it did that stupid stretch the horizontal screenshot thing because I remember the old versions of MAME had that problem when I was doing screenshots from a website. It's annoying as hell. But uh, uh, hopefully this is the last beta and he'll be able to release the full, you know, release one of it and hopefully it won't take him as long as it took us to do that with Nitrous 9, which is like five years. <laughs> So. And he also mentions that you can take the source code because it's written in basic. You can actually incorporate it in your own programs and games. So if you want something that you know features a maze, a maze style game of some sort, and you want to be able to have the computer generate the maze for you and fairly quickly in basic, then you can use his code there. Uh, next up tonight at 7 p.m. Is it 7 p.m. Eastern? Central. 7 p.m. Central tonight is Tears City Trash Talk Live number 34. Uh, the theme for this picker one is about Tandy Assembly coming up. And the main reason, because Tandy Assembly isn't for several months yet, the main reason for doing it this early is that uh, the Trash Talk show will actually be taking a bit of a break for the summer holidays. So they probably won't be back until September. Um, so this will be the last one until then. So they figured might as well cover it now, get it out early. Um, if I have time and if, if it doesn't look like it's going to be too busy with the Tandy Assembly, because I know they're, unlike us, they like actually keeping their show like to two hours or less. And whereas we have trouble even getting commercials that low. And uh, I don't know if there's enough time for me. I was supposed to talk about Nitrous 9 a couple of episodes ago, and there just wasn't enough time because there's too many panelists. And I have a funny feeling if they're talking about Tandy Assembly, there probably won't be any time this time either. So I may end up just watching. But if it looks like it's uh, maybe got enough time, I might go quickly do a Nitrous 9 demo or something on there. But I'm guessing it, that'll probably have to wait till the fall as well. Anyway, you can catch that on YouTube on their uh, channel, which I think I have. Yeah, here. So look at uh, for the channel at Tiris AD Trash Talk. That's all run together. No dashes, no underscores, et cetera. And uh, just be there around 7 p.m. Central, and, and you can watch in the show. They actually do sometimes monitor chat, so they can answer some questions from the chat as well. 
And they cover all of the tier cities, of course. And if they're talking Tandy Assembly, that'll also be covering the Tandy 1000s, 2000, 3000, 4000s, all the you know, PC compatible ones. Next up, uh, Jolly All Gen Gamer did a YouTube video. And we did a teaser short earlier in the week, which I actually ended up removing from the news because the full video came out just yesterday, I believe it was. And this is uh, his video kind of explaining about the Coco 2 a little bit. He's got a Coco SDC on it, demonstrates a couple of older games. Now, his Coco 2 has got that problem with the yellow stripe on the left side of the screen, which I can't remember. Some sort of hardware fix. You got to fix something that's worn out. Do you remember what that is, Rick or Mark? Or anybody five, five timer. Triple five timer. Yep. Okay. So if one of you guys can go comment that on his video here, I don't know if he's a hardware guy or not, but uh, at least he'll know possibly how to fix it. So anyway, the the reason I'm going to bring up a little bit of the video here is he actually, he has two Cocoa 2s. The first one's a 16K color basic, which means the Cocoa SDC won't run it because they're just basic requires extended basic. So he ended up going out on eBay and he bought one. Now this is one that's been repainted. So it's a black case too. And even the keyboard's kind of got a speckled thing uh background that somebody painted on it so that's his little intro here hey let's take a look here at the radio shack trs80 color computer 2 and we also know this is now this is more of a matte black i think the one that terry steggy and, and ron devo if he's still on the call here i think his is more of a glossy looking black or is it more of a matte black like a dull right shiny flat black oh you're just flat black too okay mm -hmm. But your your keyboard's basically stock. It doesn't have yeah. this speckly look. Black around it, and the other thing is, uh, I painted mine with, um, you know, a barbecue grill black. <laughs> no, so it's all fireproof and ready for five hundred degrees. Exactly. <laughs> right? he well, you live in Arizona, so you kind of need that, yeah. right? Steggy's is is uh, semi gloss. They match that keyboard very yeah. nicely. Look how sharp the cut off his around all the yeah. keys. Well, I imagine he took all the keys out. Well, yeah. yeah, but then he did a lot more than that just to get the sharp corners and nice job. Sure. Yeah. He yeah, did do the nice. bottom. Yeah, the bottom is still the yellow and uh, white, I guess you'd call it. Yeah, you know... Um, now, the person that did the video, I should I'd be clear, he's not the person who did this. He bought it yeah, off eBay this true. way. So. Yeah, My, mine I did in the 90s, 1990 or something, way back. And this this is a screenshot, even though it's upside down from the video, is just to show you the serial number. Because everybody asks about that. Right. And he's actually got Black Beauty joysticks, which he wasn't too impressed with. So he's showing some of these other ones. I think I mentioned in the comments there that you know it's uh it's required, like like uh Peter did. Back. What was that? Wait till he plays double back and then he'll like <laughs> Well, he did figure out like he plays popcorn, which requires an analog joystick. So he did figure out that you know some games required, but he said, you know, for most of the arcade games, you you know, a self-centering would be better. So he's got an Atari adapter. So I won't I'm play much more of the video here. When he went to go pick a Pac-Man clone, he picked one of the worst ones he possibly could have picked. I'm not quite sure why. Probably because he just happened to pick whatever he saw first. But this is Pac-Man Man by Greg Zummel, which is one of the earlier ones, but there's only three ghosts, there's no power pellets. There is the tunnel in the middle, but basically it's just eat dots and dodge ghosts. There's no eating the ghosts whatsoever in this version. Mm -hmm. And this was put up by American Small Business Computers. Now, by the time American Small came out, this pack attack by computer where it was already out, Ghost Cobbler might not quite have been yet. But there were there were better ones already available at this point. So he just happened to pick, you know, one off the STC card. So uh, I mentioned the comments that you know there's definitely better Pac-Mans because he wasn't too impressed with this Pac-Man. And you know, 
I, I'm not either. Um, no offense to Greg Zumo, because this is one of his very first machine language games, if not the very first one. I can't remember. Yeah, I think this is earlier than Offender, which is kind of his Defender clone. So the games he'd published with American Small before this point were in basic. You know, like he had a Moonlander, a Lunar Lander clone, but that was in basic. So this is very early ML years for Greg himself. Hey, Curtis. But you can see uh, that yellow bar on the left. So that 555 exactly. timers, what fixes that? Exactly. Right. Yep. Or something nearby it. And, right. And like Mike. Capture card does not like a white background, no matter what. It will not sync that left edge nice. If there is a white border, that's how close it is. It's very on the edge okay. <laughs> at best. So, Okay. Uh, next up, uh, Peter of 8-Bits in the Basement. Um, so he was on that uh, live stream with a bunch of retro enthusiasts, uh, kind of representing the Coco MC-10 and Dragon. Uh, a European stream, actually, uh, with I think there was one guy from the States in there, but everybody else was from Europe or the UK. And of course, he's in France and X of Ireland. But yeah, he decided to go through and hacking old PC joysticks. This is right up your alley, Rick, uh, to work with the Coco <laughs> 1, 2, and 3. And uh, it kind of goes through, and I don't know if he based this on some of the stuff that you've used to fix, like you've taken the PC and uh, versions of the Tandy craft deluxe joysticks, or not Tandy, but, uh, but deluxe joystick craft ones. And converted them to run the Coco, and you bought a whole bunch of them to resell that way? Right, yeah, it's kind of old work, but yeah, it is a, it is work. <laughs> it has to be done, you have to know to do it, so this is cool. Yeah, check the Coco 123s, Rick's got articles in there too, on doing this. Yeah, that might be where he got it from, actually, not that I'm thinking about it. But he kind of goes through, like, you know, what you have to change, and, you know, flip a few wires around here, and... Here he was demonstrating this particular joystick on an Apple II. And then he goes with the Coco, and, you know, we first tried hooks up, and it doesn't move. It just stays in the lower right corner type thing, and then it gets it working. Um, demonstrates Polaris with it, which, of course, is a game that really requires analog once again, just like Double Back or Ketchum or Popcorn or a bunch of others. So... Yeah, if you want to, you want to learn how to do this, and you just, yeah, these are common. These are cheap on eBay, like craft, especially where he is in Europe. If you have to order a deluxe joystick, and then ship it overseas, you're not talking cheap here. Right. So here, you can just pick, you know, any PC style analog stick, and just you know, do a little bit of changes to it, and then while it works on the Coco. So, Defense well, it's really funny. <laughs> the only reason this trick works is because the PC decided it would run the joystick at positive. And the buttons at ground. So it has both of the signals coming through the cable into the joystick anyway. They aren't apportioned right because it's not using ground end voltage together, but they both show up in the case. So God bless them for not having sense to put everything on just plus five volts of call and update. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, go catch that video. Um, like I said, he does some uh, you know various demos of it, and uh, you know takes the part joystick apart, shows you exactly what needs to be done. And I think the, I'm trying to remember what this brand is. This a uh, Sidewinder or something? Not sure. I don't know these PC joysticks. I will. So my apologies if I'm completely and utterly wrong, which is entirely probably accurate. No, uh, Curtis didn't um, Xerox come out with the first mouse? For their sort of machine way back. Okay, sort of, so. no, well, it you depends if you're counting the ultimate demo or not. 
Well, mm. well, what I was asking is, what did the first joystick look like? I have no idea. I don't either. Uh, you always the, see the old mouse, but you never see a joystick. The joystick actually came from um, the military in the 1920s. It was used okay. for military applications, including attempting to do what we would call, you know, teleoperated drones now and stuff. They were trying to steer missiles remotely and things like that um, before World War II. Okay. Okay. Also, uh, 8-Bits in the Basement himself is actually in the chat right now. He says it's a quick shot GS-123. But the important thing is they're all kind of the same. So if you have a game port joystick thing that you can modify, they're all the same. So, yeah. Get after it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and as you mentioned like if you're if, especially if you're in europe i mean it's a lot cheaper and these are a lot easier to find you know locally on ebay right. as opposed to having to you know pay for overseas shipping right but, and have the cord off a of black beauty stick it on here and <laughs> well, he didn't, I, I think he just did an adapter side. i'm not even sure if he chopped the end off or if he just put an adapter oh yeah he could just adapt it because you have that extra voltage line because i think he wanted this joystick to also play on his apple II and you know some of the other retro machines so that if you can just make an little adapter sense. you can use the same joystick on everything and, basically and like i say if ibm had just decided to make the uh, xy pots and the buttons both five volt triggered we couldn't do it but in their infinite wisdom, they decided the buttons would be tied to ground and the pots would be tied to plus five. And so both the signals are there. That's the coolest thing. You can adapt it. Nice. Yeah. He just mentioned, too, uh, the cost of uh, getting one of these uh, versus getting a, an actual deluxe joystick shipped, eight euros versus 60 plus euros. Ooh. So like eight times the price. So that's a pretty joysticks. good savings. <laughs> <laughs> So, hey, uh, thank, thanks, for Peter, for the video. That's awesome. Beauty, yes. Uh, next up on the Dragon side of things, uh, we've got David Mitchell from Davy's Retro Corner. Uh, he posts stuff on his retro channel on YouTube quite a bit. Uh, does occasional Coco stuff, too. Uh, the one he did this week is he did a graphics demo of a Vegan flag. I didn't even know Vegans had a flag. I guess it's a V that stands for vegan. I, I don't know. And it's got like, you know, water and, and green plants color. So is that part of the vegan thing too? There's no red for meat or something? I don't know. Anyway, it's a quick little graphics demo. Now, are we sure this has anything to do with food or for? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm just guessing that it's, based it's, on it's just vegan. Like people who live on Vega. Yeah. <laughs> oh, could be. It could be. Maybe. I don't know if they're uh, is the omnivores or not. But us? What's going on here? I mean, this could be the V symbol from the V, you know, TV show for all I know. Right. But they from Vega, I can't remember. No, V was for Victory or something. I can't remember. I haven't seen that show in a long v time. V was for Visitors. Visitors, right? Thank you. Oh yeah. I have not watched it in a long while well, since it originally aired. Shock Trooper. Yeah, actually, yeah. It's it's actually the theme of Shock Trooper. I should know that, shouldn't I? Anyways, that was the one he did here. And then the last story for today is from Rob CFG on the World of Dragon forum. So he mentioned he's got a link in his GitHub where he's made assembly debugging sheets. And he's made them for both 6809, which I have pictured here, and also for the Z80 if you're doing any uh, Z80 development. And it's basically a sheet you can download, just print out PDF sort of doc version of it. 
And it lets you write in the uh, values of the various registers as you're going in the operations or comments and the sheet numbers of the project. So it's kind of, if you're doing debugging the old fashioned way, as opposed to like run it through a main debugger or something like that, you can kind of keep track of where you're on the code and what are the results of the registers when it goes through here type thing and, and kind of help debug that. These you know, the old, old style. In between your actual assembly sheets where you're handwriting out all, all of, the of your code. assembly code and figuring out what the opcodes and the, the bit patterns need to be. So then when you go to debug it, you put this sheet in behind that one and they, they go together behind the clip. Yep, I, I will still stick with the main debugger myself. <laughs> but I, I, I mean, I did this by hand back in the old days, you know, before we had all these debuggers and stuff like Bill and I debugging Nitro code, we did something similar to this. Anyway, free download. Um, I just noticed too, he's actually got uh, 6309 and 6502 added now too, which he did not as of when I found this story a couple days ago. So um, cool. He's actually got four different CPUs now. And uh, comments from 60, he says, I didn't know that we had a flag either until he posted this about the vegan thing. And he said, millennials need a flag for everything. <laughs> All right. Uh, if you're doing some assembly program, you want to do some old school tracking the registers, et cetera. Um, sheets, as, as uh, mentioned by Alan there, uh, he's got four CPUs now, the Z80, 6809, 6309, and 6502. So and that's the end of the news this week. This begs the question, why would somebody that is in possession of their right mind do such a thing? And uh, there is actually an answer, uh, not just because it was there, but there are times when you desk debug something on paper that gives your brain enough time to think about what's going on that it will flag up that this is the way what you're writing right now. That's not right. And it can help you backtrack in a yeah. way that you can overlook if you're on a screen or whatever. So there are times right. like if I don't know how to do a piece of code, I'll start by writing it out on paper first and write it over and over again until I can kind of understand on paper that it's doing the things that I want it to do. Then I'll go put it in the machine and the machine will tell me how broken it is when LW Asm spits out all of its errors. <laughs> and then, you know, I can go back and now I go, all right, well, this is what I got wrong and blah, blah. But yeah, thinking on paper sometimes gives your brain time to 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 surface up the stuff that it knows that it just gets shouted down by trying to do everything too fast when you're looking at a very busy interface or something. So yeah, and I've I've hit that with the meme debugger too, where I my brain is already going what I'm expecting it to do and kind of falls through, and then it has no idea why this register is yeah. not matching what my brain thinks it should be. But when you do it on paper and you're actually mapping out, okay, I'm doing an ABX, so B is this, X is this, now X is going to be, wait a second. Why am That's I doing not right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wait, what if I did, oh. Mm -hmm. Now, I was going to ask Nick, since he's probably the most active ML developer we have here, and he's also old school. He still does stuff through EdTasm. Screw that LWASM stuff. Speaking I was of just gonna paper, yeah. So do you do this kind of like paper debugging too, or do you do it on screen or how do you do it when you're doing it in Entasm? I do it on screen now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's Oh, you're like too modern paper. for us. Go away. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I do it. I uh, throw my source code from the cocoa to the PC into a word document. And then I just, yeah, I do it on screen in, in the, as a word document. You're actually going through Basically, the text of the source anyway. You're you're not. Oh, the, the, the text. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It doesn't run it. It's just uh, 
it's substitute no. um, having pen and paper, basically. Okay. Yeah, I stick with paper just because the process of writing it and reading it back. I you know I, I've got a two bit brain in a sixty four bit mm-hmm. world, so I got to go real slow sometimes. And I, for me personally, really when you write something, it registers with your brain differently than just reading it. Like if you're looking at a debug screen in MAME or something like that, like writing it down helps it, me yeah. trap errors so much faster right. most of the time. Well, like you say, you read what you want to see. Yeah. And your brain makes assumptions like, I know that should end up being this, so I don't even have to check that. Your brain kind of skips over yeah, even, though it's, it, even though it's wrong on the screen, too. You just Your brain just fills in the gap and goes, yeah, that's 3,000 hex. That's what it's supposed to be. And then you go down a bit further. But if you're writing it out, you're, you're, you start going, wait a sec, that doesn't add up. Like that, That's not the result that should be there. Called us out. Yeah, well, I usually find it when I do transfer the code to a Word document and I, you know, I muck around on it there as if it's, you know, on paper. And when I think, okay, that's it. Now I just got to type that into the cocoa. While I'm doing that, I, I, I pick up little errors. I say, what the heck did I write that for? Yeah, okay. And I fix it, yeah. yeah. It's sort of the same thing. You, you do it afterwards, but yeah, mm-hmm. slightly more modern. Yeah, that's one of my favorite from the basic. Very phases. slightly. If a line looks right and it's still causing you an error, just retype it. And then right. you find out how yeah. it actually should have been because you retype it correctly when you were just reading it yeah. through whatever the yeah. error was. Oh, well, yeah. common was like you, you type load B instead of load A. Or oh, you yeah. type in load yeah. A with a number sign because you want an immediate value, not a memory reference type thing. Like yeah. that's subtle enough you don't really catch it at the time, but then when you retype it, you go, "Whoa, so wait you a regenerate second. it." Yeah, yeah. Even yeah. even simple typos, basically that you may have done. Oh, shouldn't there be a dollar sign in front of that? You know, yep. it's a yeah, hex number. like decimal yeah. versus hex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now uh, Scott Cooper does point out Nick has no bugs, so he has well, no idea yeah. what you're talking about, Nick. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I haven't done that in a long time because, yeah, I have no bugs. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bullshit. Yeah, the, the only mistake Nick's done assembly language programming in the last 10 years is Bounce. redoing Neutroid for the fifth time. And there we go. Everybody drink. <laughs> okay. Now, since you brought the topic up. Uh, no. Yeah, end of the show, folks. See you next now. Hey. <laughs> Actually, that is the end of the news, so that's all yes, I had. thank you, Curtis. If you look up a uh, joystick on uh, Wikipedia, it's pretty interesting to read it. It came from Aircraft First, 1908. Uh, two or three you were late, guys. Two you were or three different guys. Were yeah, your flight stick, you're like your steering part. Yeah, yeah I guess that's. Yeah, but this one guy, uh, Robert Lorraine, is the uh, guy that's first uh, said using the name joystick, and then uh, in gaming, it's uh, 1926. It was given to a, a, pat, a patent to a guy named Merrick. <clears throat> 1944. But, but why? A, why is it called a joystick? I mean, oh no! Almost, no whoa, whoa, whoa! Hey, let's not get into the blue zone here. <laughs> that's right. Let's. Let, let, that's the worry. That'll excite David. That's like the, why what, do they call what, it a floppy Which kind of floppy deal? drive? What kind of floppy drive? 360K? Well, floppy, a floppy, 180K? Floppy drives yeah. and hard drives. I mean, we're getting into blue territory again here. Let's not do this. 
And well, that's my cue. Yep, that's comes, your cue, Mark. <laughs> this concludes another episode of The Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song copyright 2022, D. Bruce Moore, mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Coco Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. Okay. No oh boy. Well, like like I said earlier, I'm herding cats. <laughs> yeah, our whole panel is a set mark. of cats in that case. <laughs> I'm sorry I brought it up. <laughs> you know, Ron, I don't need to know that part either. <laughs> well, anyway, that's right. the show for this week, folks. <laughs> All right, bye, oh, wait, everyone. Wait, one, one more thing. One more thing before we go. Uh oh, we didn't. We didn't cover the beginning of the news like we originally thought we were going to, but we'll cover it now. So, for those of you that caught the Coca Crew podcast last week. That is the final episode. Now, we weren't sure of that because we kind of heard rumors about it and it just got released, you know, before last week's show. So we didn't comment it because we hadn't had a chance to talk about it. But it is actually shutting down. Now, they have mentioned they may occasionally do some special or who knows, they might come back and never say never type thing. But it is definitely stopping for now. So I want to give a big thank you to everybody involved there, uh, Mike and Boise and John and Neil for, uh, you know, basically creating the podcast and actually getting Coco related podcast going again. There was a brief one, Steve Bjork and a few others. I think it was called the Coco Roundtable. It was done, you know, some years before, but it was just a few episodes. It wasn't a, a you know, consistently recurring thing. But honestly, our show would never have started without that one being there first. Um, we decided to, you know, take a different approach. We're going to do it live. We're going to be interactive with the audience and the chat, et cetera, instead of being a pre record. So we tried to approach it quite a bit differently. But uh, honestly, I don't think Steve or I or anybody else would have started, you know, Coco Talk, which later became the Coco Nation show without the Coco crew being there first. I, I think we owe them a, a bit, a bit of, of quite a bit of gratitude for starting that off. And then now we've got another one, you know, the Amigo Aaron and uh, Boat John Schaller are also doing the Coco show, which is a game related Coco show that's published monthly to a video podcast. So. I just wanted to thank them for all the stuff they've covered over the years and uh, for getting podcasting about the Coco going. Any further comments from anybody else? The very first show is on uh, the player that um, the Zipster Zone came out with. Remember? Yeah, actually, they they kept releasing those. You actually can listen to the whole series if you wanted to. Brett Gordon's uh, Coco Caster. Yes. Yeah, which is pretty cool. I don't yeah, in fact, yeah. John mentioned that they were the only Coco podcast you could actually listen to on a Coco. <laughs> right. Because yep. the other two Coco podcasts are video related, and that's a hell of a lot harder than Coco. Not impossible, but. And I think that they've got them all up on archive.org now. If not most of them, I think they've got all of them at this particular point. So that that's good that those will be archived for uh, for as long as the archive is around. May it be forever. Uh, eight and, years and 97 episodes. Yep. I was hoping they Long would at least time. make it to a hundred. 
Yeah, and they, I mean, they had a couple other, like they started in episode zero and they had a bonus episode. So they actually had 99. They were one short of actually having a hundredth episode. Oh, so the numbering would have been different, but um, I, I mean, from, from listening to the, the end of the podcast where they kind of discussed this happening, it sounds like John was just getting burned out. I mean, he's been kind of the main spearhead of that show for the, since it's beginning till its end. And that's a, that's a lot of stuff to take on, uh, doing all the, you know, technical research stuff, you know, finding the news stories was mainly him too. Um, so it was, uh, quite a bit of work for him. And I think, you know, there's been stuff happening with Red Hat and other things, you know, where he works that probably is not helping his, you know, having energy to do this kind of thing here too. So I, I think he just needs a break. Um, whether he gets back into it or not, uh, I, I, I do think we owe, you know, a lot of gratitude for them for getting that show off the ground and, you know, basically helping spirit our show getting off the ground i would like to make an invitation that if neil or mike or boise or john ever want to come and guest in our show i know uh, john might be on the tier city trash talk tonight he, he mentioned that he might come on as well because i mean he's still part of dandy assembly obviously but if they ever want to come in like if they you know neil if you want to come in and talk about some of the game on challenge stuff here we've invited you a couple years back and then kind of the you know, the heated bit between the two shows started happening around that time. So it never happened, but I, I would love to have the opportunity to actually do that again. But uh, any anybody else want to mention anything about that or? Yeah. No, we're behind you. Go down. <laughs> it's, you know, I, I hate to hear it happen. That's, but, you know, if you get, if you get to the point where it's not being fun, then yeah, take a break. I hope it comes back. You know, uh, I, I really like the technical pieces. Um, I One of the things I did was clipped out the Farfall music that uh, I think Mike Rowan did for that they used as the show intro for a long time. I was actually a little miffed when they stopped using that music for the show open. <laughs> and wrote them some, some mail, going to put it back. You know, um, the, the commercials were fun, but the, there's also, you know, the, the Cocoa History that, that Boise keeps bringing yeah. up in there. There's, if you haven't followed the Coco crew, uh, you know, I started when I got back into the Coco, I started with the first episode and started trying to catch up. And it was a great way to get up to speed with what had been going on. And, you know, it was just amazing to hear that there was so much stuff and, and it is a loss to the community if they're going to take a break but let's hope it's only temporary let's hope that uh everyone gets some you know a, a different circumstance next year or something and, and and you know reunites the fire you know it'd be worth it right anybody else say, okay yeah i just like say i appreciate the work and i know it is work and i missed all of the best of the cocoa crew but i'm slowly catching up and uh Thanks, guys. I mean, hopefully we will see you again. And we'll all fly along together. But uh, yep. thanks. Do you think uh, maybe something new will come up? You mean from them specifically or just yeah, in general? From, you know, from a generic get-together of all of Well, them. that depends on who wants to spearhead something. I, I think John will be a while. If if he ever does get back into doing it, because like I said, it was a lot of work, um, and he's you know he's had some health issues the last while, and of course he's you know the, the, some of the stuff with Red Hat, and I mean he's got a lot on his plate. Um, I I fully understand why he wants to take a break. I mean, you know, Stevie went through the same thing when he when he shut down Coco Talk. It was just getting to be too much for him too. 
competing with real life. And, you know, he, he shut it down for the same reason, basically, well, I mean, the exact same reason, but similar. So it, it affects us all. Because I happen to know that John had some ideas for some projects that he had started that I would really like to see him finish. Mm. So there's, there's more. There is more. Now, were these podcast-related projects or just Cocoa Projects in general? Just Cocoa Projects and retro stuff in general. Okay, because yes. I think he still plans on doing like some of the, he's been writing for some of the online uh, sites like Hackaday and that kind of thing before. Cool. So I'm assuming he would still continue those unless he's totally burned out on Cocoa right now. Well, one of the things John did a long time back, I think it was 2010, is do that video that he ran off of uh, Coco. Oh, the video player where he's playing like yeah, Star Wars that, and stuff? that was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. Unfortunately, being in Coco media sometimes get in the way of being the Coco enthusiast. Yes. So maybe stepping back <laughs> I can punch for that. <laughs> you know, he can, he can go back to being just a Coco enthusiast for a while and, and get the groove back on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Anybody else? Anybody? Anybody? Beulah. <laughs> Run the <Yeah>. credits again. <laughs> so I guess uh, in, in the final uh, final thing here to say before we shut the show down for today is um, uh, Coco Crew, we salute you for you know years yeah. of service. Thank you, Coco Crew. We facts. Let's drink. <laughs> but we'll be here next week. So, well, unless the world ends between now and then, I'm still planning on being here. <laughs> the ghost of Curtis and Ghost News presents. There'll be some static, but we'll. Still unless I solder my hair so badly it goes right through my skull, I, I should be here. So, well, Rick's got a helmet for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I want Frank's version with the beer cans myself. But. Well, you need both. Yeah, yeah drunk soldering would work well with me, I'm sure. That's when it pours the beer. Yeah. Okay. Guess we're ready to push the button. Yes. Yeah, Bye, everyone. See you next week. Bye.